I realized that when I injected a sound, I was kind of the new kid on the block or the new animal in the area. It didn't scare them. It was just like, who in the heck is that? One of the biggest misconceptions and myths is that cows have a whine or an estrus sound to let a bull know that she's ready to be bred. And this is the most untrue statement that can be had. It really is. I talk to hunters all the time and they'll say, well, when I go out and I hear a bugle, I'm, I challenge everyone because sooner or later one will play. My approach is understand what you're hearing and call every one of them in. I hate to see newer hunters go out there thinking that they have to be a $10,000 bill walking through the woods. No way. Get something affordable. Now, if another elk really gets upset, he's going to lip ball. And so he's going to give more of a guttural sound like this. You see it? That, that's the top of the anger chain. When hunters start realizing it's the bull that tells other elk, I have a hot cow here. They will start putting two and two together and realize this is how you call bulls in. This is Paul Modell with Elk Nut Outdoors. And here we are going to talk elk today with Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 79 of Living Country in the City. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I am super excited to bring this one to y'all. This is a guy I have been dying to talk to for quite a while. I am talking a huge wealth of knowledge, more than we probably could have gotten out in any 10 podcasts. But we managed to cram quite a bit of it into a single one. And as I'm sure you all can see, this is hands down the longest podcast I've released. So make sure you all go to the bathroom beforehand, because I really hope none of you all are listening to me on the toilet. That might get a little awkward. Anyway, make sure you all grab your glass of water, get a snack, and sit down and get ready to take some notes because I am talking with the elk nut himself, Mr. Paul Medell, and he really just lays out how to talk the talk when it comes to elk. 
Once again, this is an awesome podcast packed full of great information, but I will warn you about midway through, we ran into some technical difficulties. The internet went out on his end and we kind of had to start it up. So you will notice a big glitch in the middle. I apologize for that, but we had to roll with it. So you guys do too. Anyway, grab your notepads and enjoy episode 79 with the Elk Nut. Thank you so much for hopping on the line with me today, Paul. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So I always like to start out just with a little bit of an introduction about yourself and, you know, how you got your start in hunting and elk calling. Well, you know, coming from a family that didn't hunt, I have no background in hunting at all. So hopefully this will, you know, kind of be an inspiration to those who are out there that were maybe in the same situation as myself. No, I didn't have a family at all that elk hunted, deer hunted. They didn't do anything. So this was kind of just a lot of trial and error on my part. And and, and, and it seemed like when I turned around 10, 11 years old, I have no idea why, but I had this desire to want to elk hunt. And it was from what I saw on the outdoorsman show with, uh, I think it was Bill Lang. Bell Lang was his name. And that's, he planted that seed in me. And probably the guy that made it grow as I kept trying to find anything, because, you know, there was no internet. There's no <laughs> anything. There was no nothing on elk hunting or, 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 or a lot of different styles of hunting. It was Larry Jones uh, from Oregon. And he was the one that kind of was an inspiration to me, which he has no idea he was. <laughs> but he was. And that's the guy that I kind of sunk my teeth into, got my first calls, my first bugle, which looked like a vacuum cleaner hose. <laughs> and from there, it just kind of t- started to grow. And I just I have always had a passion for elk. I, I hunt other animals, but there's nothing that gets my adrenaline going like uh, like elk hunting. The vocalization is what it is. If they did not vocalize in the bugles and the cow sounds that they make, I'm sure it wouldn't be as interesting or, or big of a draw to me because I don't have that same feeling for, for other animals, even though I enjoy, you know, the sport of hunting them all. But Elk has a special place in my heart. So those of you out there who might be newer elk hunters who are, or, or were in the same boat as I, I was, don't think it can't happen for you. It really, really can. And now I'm in my, you know, darn near in my mid-60s. And so a lot of time has passed between now and then. And I dedicated like about 35 years of my life to understanding elk vocalization. It, was that, it meant that much to me. It started real slow. And then the fire just kept uh, getting kindled and, and, and built up and built up. And the more I was out there, uh, especially uh, non-hunting seasons, and, and we're talking about public lands, over-the-counter type stuff, and I would go out there and sit and listen to these elk until all hours of the morning. I wouldn't get home sometimes till 2 or 3 in the morning because I was so intrigued by listening to them and being around some of the groups that were in larger herds, uh, you know, uh, come in July and August especially. They really group up. And they come down out of the lower country back into the high country here where, where they spend their summers and their falls, but they migrate out in the, in the winter. And so I would listen to them. And, and, and one thing led to another as I started understanding they had a language. And the language, each message they were sending to one another was through emotion. Uh, so it wasn't they had English words. But we try to translate it like that and try to show people by using the word challenge, bugle, location, roundup, bugle, lip ball, 
to associate that emotion or turn, tone that an elk is using. And so it, it was pretty cool to be able to uh, go through that period of my life many, many years ago to start understanding that and then taking it right in into the elk hunting world, especially uh, for archery hunters who are hunting the rut. And there's rifle hunters that hunt the rut times too, which is like the last week of August, all of September, and a lot of October. Elk will vocalize and still have cows coming in and out of estrus during that time frame. And that's certainly a great time to be out there. No, absolutely. It's, I'm, I'm actually curious, you know, because I guess what gets you excited about elk is this vocalization. I, you know, I think we've all heard uh, people say that, oh, turkey hunting, just like elk hunting. Elk are just, you know, thousand pound turkeys. <laughs> have you uh what what are your thoughts when you hear people say stuff like that i think there's similarities absolutely and then there's there's parts of it that's not since a, a turkey can't smell you so you don't have to to worry about fighting the wind uh on a turkey hunt but as far as calling turkeys and 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 beating them at their own game you yeah i think there's 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 definitely uh, a resemblance there i've hunted turkeys for years many many years so I understand what people are referring to when they say that. It isn't like a negative response, like, oh, there's <laughs> nothing alike. No, absolutely. There's definitely some similarities, especially if you're going to start calling and you've been using a reed for turkeys and, and not just a box call or the slate or whatnot. But if you've been using a reed a lot and your tongue muscles are built up to it, you know how to throw the proper amount of air, the placement of the reed, tongue pressure for specific tones and sounds, you'll easily go from that into, into elk hunting. It, it, it much, much easier than someone who's never used a mouth reed. So as far as the similarities there, oh, yeah, and there's just as much excitement. You might not cover nearly the ground going after a turkey as you would in elk in the western states and stuff. Since, I mean, we, we cover between 5 and 10 miles a day on foot almost every single day we're out there. And I can honestly say when I'm turkey hunting, I don't cover that much territory on my feet. So, you know, there may be a line drawn there, but as far as the vocalization and, and trying to understand that bird, that they have regathering sounds when the hens get separated, or they can have a challenging sound uh, for an older tom to a younger one. I mean, you know, and the young tom's trying to call the birds their way. Yeah, you see, you have those similarities, and you can build on that so it gives you an appreciation for elk hunting that now you're not finding a 20 pound animal you're fighting an 800 pound animal and you have to get that animal out of the woods but you know just getting your feet wet in turkey hunting i think is is a great great way that will lead you into an elk hunt well now and correct me if i'm wrong but didn't uh didn't kind of the the elk calling using those diaphragm calls come from using turkey calls initially you know it probably did and 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 I don't know the stats on that or what what actually <laughs> happened, how that went from one to the other. But, you know, I would not be surprised if it did. I've, I've actually never been asked that. <laughs> but you never know. You know, maybe it did uh, uh, come from that. It's like asking me who was the first person that called a bugle a bugle, that a bull. I don't know. <laughs> but it's something we've all just kind of gotten used to. But, yeah, as far as reads and go, yeah, I, I don't know if that was the case, but if you say it is, I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure somebody will email me and, uh, and either confirm or uh, harshly correct me. But there you go. <laughs> um, so, out of curiosity, how has how has elk calling with the tools or or 
what's available to people out there. How has that changed from when you first started learning about all of this from watching those, I guess, videos of uh, Larry Jones to to now? What what have you seen change? Well, you know, there's been a lot of change and, and, and for the better of the elk hunter. And, you know, the reason for that is 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 the society that we live in today is different than 50 years ago when I first started entertaining the idea of wanting to hunt. There were no videos. There was nothing. There was really no written literature. And I didn't even know Larry Jones had a video. I was just, I heard his name. And, and so I knew he had calls. And that was really the extent that I had with Larry. That was it. I <laughs> never read any material he ever had or watched anything. It was just buying the calls and trying to learn myself. There was nobody there to share instruction. Today, you have all those tools and it's made a big difference. And, and again, it's because of the high tech lifestyle that a lot of people have today. And, and I'll bet you anything, the majority of elk hunters we have today, Sam, don't live in elk country. They don't have that luxury like like I do and you and others. I mean, we just they're just not there. And so they're like a sponge out there. You know, they're they're thirsty. They're trying to take in everything they can because they see elk country seven to ten days a year. Three hundred and fifty days out of the year, they see none. And so for them to come and go through this this cycle, every time it probably takes them several days before they can refresh their memory of what it was all about and avoid some of the pitfalls and the mistakes, but they still happen, but their memory gets refreshed much quicker for the, after the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth year. And so being able to supply instructional information to these folks and help shorten that learning curve has certainly come a long way from, you know, 50 years ago when I first started to our present day. And, and it's good because I can remember when I was a little kid, there was no help. There was nothing, but, and I didn't expect any. Think about it. I didn't <laughs> expect anything. It was just like, what do I got to do to make this work and um, make what work? I didn't even know what that meant. It was just <laughs> like, I just, I kept going forward wanting to know more about this critter that I'd seen on television. And we're talking black and white here. You know, I mean, there was no color. There, there was no DVR. There was none of this stuff. No iPhones. I mean, you know, their communication was different. So trying to find some information it was like pulling teeth, but at that time, I didn't know it. As I look back, compared to what, what, what's offered to newer hunters today, you guys have no idea how, how lucky you are, and which is great because, you know, it's the same thing in life. No matter what avenue you look in, this is just happens to be elk hunting. So you guys out there, take advantage of this stuff. This is like almost my 20th year that I first started coming out with material because it all started accidentally. I had been listening to elk. And I was doing it for my personal gain. I wasn't doing it to sell anything. I was trying to get better at elk hunting. Yeah. You see, because I started out as a rifle hunter. And, and, and I just kept going, you know, trying to pay attention to these elk and just trying to learn anything. And I started understanding that all these sounds meant something. And I one of the big groundbreakers was uh, for me was when I first got out there on one of these trips, I would sit there and listen to 50, 60 elk. They were just, they were talking everywhere. And I mean, I'm within a hundred yards of them sitting in the trees. They don't know I'm there. And I'm sitting there and I thought, you know what? I'm going to give a cow call here and just see what goes. I'm going to be part of the group. And so I gave a cow call. It was with a reed in my mouth, one of Larry Jones's reed. And when I gave a cow call, those elk shut up instantaneous. Stop. <laughs> And some of them, not all of them, but some of them just stared in my direction. 
I was like, what? I mean, these things were talking 100 miles a minute. I mean, just going like crazy, you know, chattering everywhere. And when I made a sound, it just quiet. And I was like, it told me right then and there, those elk knew each other by their sound. I mean, nobody had to write me a book or you don't have to go to college for it. I was seeing and witnessing. And of course, after that, I did it lots of times because I was trying to cement the idea. It wasn't a rare occurrence that it was just lucky. No. And so as time went on, I realized these guys know each other. And as I learned more what each sound represented in the elk world through the tone and the emotion, I realized that when I injected a sound, I was kind of the new kid on the block or the new animal in the area. It didn't scare them. It was just like, who in the heck is that? But out of all those elk, how did they know? It just <laughs> intrigued me so much that I kind of thought about it. What if you had a family of five or seven and they're all yapping and you don't even see them. They're in different rooms. And then somebody else threw in another voice. You immediately would go, hey, wait a minute. That's not my kid or that's not my wife. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, immediately you go, there's a different, you know, you don't go, oh, that's just a, still a human voice. I can't tell the difference on anybody. No, you do. <laughs> and so do those elk. And I started using this against them. You know, as a hunter, and I, I would, you know, play on the, those, the emotion of those tones or the intensity. And cows do the same thing. You know, when cows are talking, Sam, you'll hear them in a social manner, and they're kind of going, yeah, 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 And they're just, you can tell there's really nothing behind those sounds of excitement or nervousness or that there's a threat in the area. But if all of a sudden... One of them's not answering the other. They've drifted off from the group because they're in the timber. They're not in the sagebrush opening. They don't see each other. And after a few sounds, no sound comes back from so-and-so. All of a sudden, you'll hear that cow that's in control or the lead cow in there. All of a sudden, you'll hear her change her tone. And you'll hear her kind of start going, you know, like, where are you? You know, so-and-so. And she raises it. And if she doesn't get a response back, or a visual of this animal, or junior, or whatever it is, you'll hear her lengthen it out, and her volume will raise. And she'll start going, and she may do it 10, 12 times. She's trying to regather it, call it back to the group. And you'll hear those, that's her emotion. Like if you were separated from your buddy or a family member, and you're going, Joey, Joey. And Joey answers you, and you keep going. And next thing you know, you ask for Joey, Joey, and no answer. Next thing you're going, Joey, you know, you're raising your. <laughs> that's what you do. It's a it's a human nature to do that, and this is what the animals are doing. And once I started understanding that, that all they're doing is changing the pitch, the whine, the volume to send a message. It wasn't like it was scientific. I started realizing there's a lot of other sounds where the the the, the most social sound a cow makes. Is, is a social cow. The ultimate request, where are you, demand, high urgency, is what's called a contact buzz. And everything in between is not as important as that contact buzz. Yeah, they may raise their voice, so to speak, or their emotion to get their point across, but the ultimate is that. It's like for bulls, the ultimate sound, the ultimate warning or Pay attention now is a lip ball bugle. That's the ultimate, whereas the least ultimate or the more, most tame is a location bugle, non-intimidational. And so, the, and then there's sounds in between, like if he was looking for a cow through a location bugle and you cow called, and this is what he was looking for, he's going to respond back 
with a different sound. He's no longer looking. He's not going to continue using the location bugle or an advertising type bugle as he advertises himself looking for other elk, such as cows, and you respond. He's like us. If we ask for Joey, where are you? And he says, I'm over here. You go, oh, well, good. Okay, come on <laughs> over here, Joey. That's what elk do. Now, all of a sudden, he changes his tone or his emotion to try to call you to him because you're, you're something he's looking for. And so now he's going to change what's called the roundup bugle. And you'll notice he'll change that volume from and three different notes all to one note and very short as he's going, just telling you to come on over. And if we get it through, let me make the sound with the bugle, okay? Is that all right? Go for it. Okay. Here is a bull right here, and he's just looking for a cow. This is the locator. That's all he's doing, and I'm trying to keep it low, nothing real loud, so the system, the Skype will, will handle it. <laughs> now, if I'm cow calling and I do this, and he responds, here's how he's going to respond. He's going to let me know that he heard me. Nothing super aggressive, but he's going to let me know that he heard me, and now he's trying to call me over, and he may even do this. You notice how he just chuckles really quick and he's not sucking air in. On a grunt, you'll hear a bull going as he gets he gets a little bit more upset or a frustrated type sound, whereas the the chuckle was almost ape-like in sound. It's low volume and they're very rapid. And he's trying to call you over. He's excited about the cow responding. Who knows? We walk up there and he could have been giving these bugles for two hours. As far as we know, he was only doing it for a minute or two when we <laughs> got there. But you see, and so all of a sudden, there's what he was looking for. Now he encourages you to come. If you don't come, he will change his tone and get more insistent until he finally gets to the point where he could lip ball you out of just pure frustration that you're not doing what he's asking. And so you see, this is, see how I can carry it away going in those different directions. But this is exactly what I was trying to learn. And it took years. None of this came, you know, to me as a whole or a complete package in a few years. No way. This took year after year after year. And then you need to hear him repetitiously in similar situations. So you can say, I can cement this idea saying, this is exactly what this means. Because I can say, I want it to mean this. And then all of a sudden in another situation, it means something else. That's like, dang, I thought I had it nailed. And I don't. So that means I have to clarify things, you know, and I, cause I want to be accurate. It's like one of the biggest misconceptions you're going to hear in the elk world today. And, you know, this is really good for your listeners. They really want to pay attention to this note. One of the biggest misconceptions and myths is that cows have a whine or an estrus sound to let a bull know that she's ready to be bred or she's near breeding time. And this is the most untrue statement that can be had. It really is. They're, they're, they make no sound. None. Elk will communicate. Cows will communicate. Elk can make the same sounds as a bull can make. She can bugle. She can grunt. She can chuckle. She can do anything. The same as your wife or girlfriend can make the same sounds you can. You're just more manly about it, more mature, because that's how man is made. Well, the bull is made to make those types of sounds in a deeper uh, uh, type of thing when you start comparing the two. But cows make all the same bugles because cows will run the cow groups when the bulls aren't around, such as right now. They're in cow groups. Bulls are mainly in bull groups. The cows will bugle now. Why do they bugle? What are they saying? They're saying the same thing a bull does. 
It's just the cow using it. So she will keep the group together and communicate them with these location bugles. She can give chuckling. She can give nervous grunts. Bulls will cow call back and forth. See, cow calls aren't just for cows. They all make these sounds. And once you start understanding that, you start getting some really good ideas how to be creative out there and to use these sounds that make sense to the elk under specific situations. I talk to hunters all the time, and they'll say, well, when I go out and I hear a bugle, I'm, I challenge everyone because sooner or later one will play. Well, you know what that is? That's like a one or two out of ten. Maybe that will play if you find them in the right frame of mind. My approach is understand what you're hearing and call every one of them in. And that is our attempt, and that is we do call most of our bulls in. But you have to tailor the calling to what they're asking, not being one-dimensional and saying, well, these are the only couple sounds I know, so I'm going to force feed them and hope you accept and come in. And, and in most cases, it doesn't work that way. And how do we know that? Look at the success rates. The success rates on an over-the-counter, do-it-yourself, public land hunt are probably anywhere from 5 to 8 or 9%, especially with archery equipment. So that shows you 90 to 95 to 96% of the people go home with nothing every single year. So there's a lot more to it than you only have to do this to be successful. There are things, you know, you can up your odds, you know, if you want to just hunt water, water sources, uh, tree standing, bedding areas, feeding areas, uh, saddles where they're moving to and from these areas, which are basically destination spots. So there's a lot of ways to hunt elk, but nothing, nothing replaces calling elk. <laughs> it's just, there's, it's an adrenaline rush. You've beat them at their own game. And, and when you start seeing how successful you can be at it, it's yeah. It's fun to spot and stalk at times and change things up and sit. Maybe your legs are getting tired after so many days and you want to sit destination areas like I just mentioned. Okay, but for the for the for the main thrust of it, man. Even in my sixties, nothing beats calling, and I've done this a long time. And it's just there's something about that draw of hearing him bugle and then evaluating and saying, okay, here's what I need to do to get this guy in. And when I'm doing this, I can usually put a time frame on it. Because I know how long it's going to take him. And folks will get to that level. When you hear enough bugles and have been in enough situations with similar accounts, you, you start getting an idea from your past experience. It's like a, ball, a baseball player. you got a really good pitcher and you got a really good hitter. Neither one has ever seen each other. And we're talking good on both. Who's going to win the battle? Most likely that pitcher. Because this batter has no idea what's going to get thrown at him. Nothing. And this is a good pitcher. Yeah, the guy might foul, foul a, few, a few off. But once this batter sees this pitcher four or five times, he gets an idea. Okay, in this count, he likes throwing that slider. In this count, he likes doing this. And that, You know, he starts getting a feel. Doesn't mean he's still not fooled here and there. But before, he had nothing to go on. Now he's got some past experience with that pitcher. And so see, now his odds go up of making better contact. It's the same with elk hunting. As you start getting in this very, these various encounters, you're going to see that you can make some solid, really high odds decision on how that encounter will go because of some of your past experience. And different elk can give you different, uh, you know, uh, looks just like now he's facing a different pitcher and a different pitcher and a different pitcher. Years to come. He starts getting a really good way to evaluate them all, and here's kind of what's coming at me, and that's why this guy's hitting 50 home runs a year and batting 308. You know, he's getting an idea, and, and not very many guys can do it, just a few. And so it's the same with elk calling. 
And once you start getting really, really good at it, you start getting a real good feel. And anybody can do this. You don't need to hit home runs to be a good elk hunter. You see, and so by being able to share this information with newer hunters and help them to shorten the learning curve because they only have so many days to hunt, you know, they have their families, they have their jobs, uh, not everybody owns their own business. You know, the more you can dig in and find material, uh, I, not just from myself, but from others that are willing to share some of the little nuggets out there, and you start putting those pieces of the puzzle together, it's just going to up your odds of success there, Sam. No, that's... Um... <laughs> I don't even, there's so much in that already and we haven't even dug into the meat of it yet. Well, um, we have done a tactic. <laughs> yep. I, uh, I'm sitting here, you know, I'm taking notes for myself. I, I always tell people, you know, half of the reason I do this podcast is so I have an excuse to reach out to awesome, knowledgeable people and learn myself. And it, so I'm, you know, I'm taking notes as we're recording here too. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, but so I, I recently did uh, – I've done a couple episodes on the, the mechanics of elk calling and, and, mm -hmm. and kind of getting started in that. So say somebody, you know, a new hunter, they're, they're getting ready for their first elk hunt. They've gone through these, these episodes. They've gone through the mechanics. They know how to work the diaphragm and kind of make some of these basic, basic sounds and, and that technical aspect. Where do they go from there? Say, you know, I'm prepping for my first elk hunt. I know how to work it, but – what sounds should I be making? Well, you know, where do I, where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, keep it simple. Yes. You see, and it's just like a, a ball player. Once again, getting into the big leagues, you know, he's trying to prove himself there and he knows that the best way he can do that is to play really good defense and just put the ball in play. He's, you're not going to walk out there just being Mr. Great. Everybody's not a Bryce Harper out there. But there's a lot of good players that any team would love to trade for. That's how elk hunting is. When you're a new person, in this case, shoot the first animal that is legal. Get, build your confidence up that you can do it. How are you going to do that? By keeping it simple with your calling process. And, and in my opinion, if it was me, anybody can set a tree stand. And, there, you know, really, I know location, 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 whether you're going to sit a water source or wallow or, like I said before, the trails, any destination spot or trails leading to or fro from them. Those are spots that have a high odds if you put your time in and you know what to look for. The downside of it is when you're sitting a tree stand or a ground blind, you have to sit there for hours and then those hours usually turn into days. What this means is every second you're there. You have to monitor the wind. If your wind gives you up one time, that's it. Seconds. The elk you were hoping that showed up will never show up again during your stay. And guys don't understand that. If they bump some elk because they're sitting and it starts getting swirly because of the time of day they're there, they keep sitting and sitting because of the past activity they've had on a trail camera or they've seen visually. But they just blew all the elk out of there. And when you go to a destination spot, and blow the elk out of the destination spot, and you don't put one down, you're done. You need to move on and find a new area, new new elk. So people need to think of these things. You know, just because they were there doesn't mean they stay there. It's that important to an elk, and that it's that sacred in those areas that human scent can drive them out. Whereas seeing you isn't nearly as bad. It's the human scent that will really move those elk out. So if you take a new hunter, he needs to have confidence. How does a new hunter have confidence? The new hunter, what he needs to do 
is he needs to be able to shoot his bow. He needs to be physically fit to a degree. He doesn't need to be Cameron Haynes. Everybody would love to have that, you know, title, but you don't need it. But you need to be physically fit so you can enter the, 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 the woods at your own pace. You need to be able to be have a fearless attitude. If you don't have a fearless attitude, you're going to find yourself sticking to trails everywhere you go, dirt roads, and you're never going to venture off of them very far because you don't know how to navigate. So you have to know how to navigate the woods. You don't have to know how to shoot your bow well and feel confident with my setup out to a, a limited yardage. You need to know what that limitation is and don't go beyond it. All these things build your confidence of of knowing your limitations there, knowing what you can do once you get in the field. Then you got to look at the terrain that you're going to be able to negotiate. Where can I find terrain that is to my physical abilities, but yet I can still get away from other hunters. And it's things like that. Then your calling comes into play. Is it some of it open country and I need to glass? You know, because when it comes to, to finding and putting elk down, there's just not one thing. There is no one thing that happens and applies every time you get out of that rig and go into the elk woods. It, so, so it's a process, and you're just trying to prepare yourself you know, all the time for whatever might be thrown at you. But for me, well, here's my typical day. And I, if somebody was new, I would do the same thing with them. My typical day is I will find an area the night before that I want to hunt. And if I'm already hunting areas I'm familiar with, I pick out one here and one here. And I rarely go back into that area the second day. I only hunt it one day. See, and a lot of people, they put all their eggs in one basket and they'll find this draw and they'll hunt it for five or six days. And they just it's ridiculous. If you're going to babysit elk that long, you're probably not going to kill one or you're going to get really lucky. Once you find elk, you want to take care of business. You don't mess around. And of course, in order to do that, you have to understand the situations you're in and, and, and what time of the month is it? Are we talking pre-rut? Are, I'm seeing four or five bulls together, no cows. How do I get that bull? You see, most everybody's going to fall on cow calling, trying to call those bulls in. And let's say it's September the 2nd and they're seeing this. You know, just to give you an example, is you need to play on that bull's manhood or those bull's manhood. Cow calls aren't even going to bring them in because they would be around all the cows if they really cared. The bull's testosterone levels early on are very, very low, very low. As the month progresses and cows start coming in heat, their testosterone levels rise, 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 and they get more excited and the urges become stronger for those cows. Well, at first in pre-rut, their urges are there for a cow, but it's like on a scale of one to 10, it's a one or a two. It's nothing. But on that same scale, I need to know where I fit at as a bull elk in this area. I need to know where I fit at in the, in the, in the pecking order. They're like horses. They need to know, are they going to be a dominant type structured bull? Are they going to be one that possibly breeds cows? So bulls display for one another. And this is what they'll do is even larger groups. And they start getting their pecking order down. Who's who? Who's the top of the food chain? Who's second, third, fourth? This And this is what they do in an area. And of course, we're not talking hundreds of bulls. Usually you're talking a dozen bulls, maybe. And they know where they're at. Why is that so important to them? Why? See, you have to understand all these things. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, Log on to MidwayUSA.com. 
All right, so we are back after some Idahoan internet technical difficulties here. You know, technology is pretty amazing. It can bring people together from many states across, but then it can cut them off very suddenly as well. <laughs> it was just an intermission. There we go. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, as we, uh, when we left off, uh, we kind of, uh, we were talking about, okay, say somebody has the mechanics of how to work a, a diaphragm call, uh, but they're looking to then start learning some of these sequences. Uh, what would be, where would be a good place to start for, for someone that is wanting to then up their game with the elk calling and, and really start, start out learning some these variety of sequences that kind of comprise the elk language, if you will? Well, yeah, if you want to use a mouth read then you have to use the, the, the proper reed for yourself. Reeds come in two sizes. They come in half inch and they come in five eighths. The old school reeds, like what I was uh, uh, brought up with, Larry Jones, uh, Wayne Carlton, reeds like that, uh, they were really the main manufacturers back then. And uh, there's a, <laughs> been a, a huge introductory since, since then, uh, but they were all five eighths. There was no such thing as a half-inch reed. And what that means is you're measuring the frame. The exposed latex, as it's clamped down in the frame, if you were to take the reeds that you have today and you measured the inside from horseshoe to horseshoe opening, you'll notice you either have a half-inch or you have a five-eighth. Uh, that's the, the only way they come. Even today, that's it. And so some of the tape that surrounds them can be larger uh, you know, they have quite a fan going around them. Some will be a clover leaf. Some are large clover leaves, such as Primos carries, and some are real small, which are like the mini domes that uh, Primos carries, uh, Rocky Mountain, uh, Bugling Bull Game Calls. He has that style, too, on just uh, a few of them. But that tape is what interferes with some people at times. So go with a half-inch reed. And the reason I say that, a half-inch reed will fit anybody. It doesn't mean it's the best reed for you, but it will work. And you will not have any issues with it, whether you have a large pallet, a medium pallet, or a small pallet. Most of the people in the world have a small to average pallet, meaning you need to use a half inch. So it won't feel like it's, it feel like it's f filling your mouth. If you have a, a five-eighths in there, you would think an eighth of an inch can't be that big a deal. It is. It will sit in there, and you can't hardly do anything with it, so you feel you have to bend it tweak it, shape it, trim the, ta the tape. You don't need to do any of that if the reed is the proper reed. So getting the proper reed for yourself is really a huge, huge thing. And so once you get a half-inch reed, which I would recommend for everyone, because even people with a large pellet can use a half-inch, but people with a smaller pellet can't use a 5 eighths worth beans. They struggle, and then they get frustrated, and they quit because they think all reeds are like that, but they're not. So start with a half-inch reed. And get a single latex. So you want to go with a real soft latex because they're the most user-friendly. They're the easiest to use. They require the least amount of tongue pressure. And so by starting off on the, on the right track there, it can make a huge difference. As a matter of fact, just as a plug, I, we have the ElkNet app. On the ElkNet app, when you first open that up, it will go into mouth read use, how to select the right read for you, how to look at the different tensions and some of the companies that carry those reads. And so 
we try to show people where that reed goes in your mouth, exactly the fit, what portion of your tongue touches that reed for each individual elk sound. Sometimes use the tip, sometimes use the center of your tongue. So we go through all of that and show it to you and, and before you ever get into any of the elk sounds. So, you know, it's just it's, it's a piece of good information if anyone uh, is out there uh, wondering if anything like that is available. Well, so say say then somebody's they've picked out their read, they've they've practiced, mm-hmm. they've got the generally got these individual sounds down. Um, what what's then the next step after that as far as getting down these sequences to talk to the elk? What they what what they've gotten down is a cow call and a bugle. That's all they've gotten. Pretty down. much, yeah. Yeah, they don't they have no idea about the different pitches. And the tempo, the volume changes. They don't realize there's a bunch of different bugles that send a different message, meaning they're changing the emotion of the bugle. They don't recognize that. So the first thing a person generally does is learn how to cow call. It's the easiest sound to make. And so we're not going to go in how to use that and make up for all of that because it would take too much time. The instruction is out there. The app has it. We have other information. But basically, you want to be able to choose the right mouth read. And start with a single read no matter who you are, especially a, a newer person. And, and, and learn how to use the read by using the center of your tongue as the contact point on the latex. It's the fastest way how to learn. It really is. It's just super quick. So most people will try to use the tip of their tongue and they're putting too much pressure on it. Start with the center. And, and just for a quick point, people always wonder, where does that read actually go? Well, here's where the read goes. So people know real quick. Take the tip of your tongue. And touch the inside of your gum line and your front teeth where they touch, right where they meet. You do that with the tip of your tongue. Now take and slide the tip of your tongue back a quarter inch, maybe three-eighths. And you feel that little ridge or that little cleft before it gets into your palate. That's where the front of the reed goes, right there. Then it, then it slants up. You'll use, you know, 20, 25 degrees and that tape on it now slides into place. In, and that's what dams the air up and touches your palate. So the horseshoe opening is right there where your front teeth and your gum line meet. Right, You can move it back a sixteenth here or there, left or right, up or back, but no more. Otherwise, you shove it too far back and you get a gagging reflex. So you want to make sure that when you, when you uh, put that reed in your mouth, if it's a newer reed, you want to nibble up that tag or that tape really good so it gets soft like a cloth t-shirt. If you don't, you're going to get this sound here. That means air is going over the top of your reed, the, the tape. And under your your palate. So it's going between the two. You need to dam it up 100%. So all the air passes at the bottom of the latex, top of your tongue. Now you're controlling the air supply and you're going to be able to call and get pure notes. Otherwise, you're going to get half and half of the latex trying to squeal or squeak on you. So if you're having that issue as a listener, you know right now that is what your problem is. And you need to correct or adjust that so you can get pure notes uh, from your mouth read. Okay. So, so then I've, I've got the mouth read selected. I've got all this picked out. I'm able to make those, uh, those Mm -hmm. basic notes. Um, what can I, what can I then expect to start hearing when I go out into the elk woods? Say I'm, say I'm bow hunting because, you know, that's what we're passionate about, uh, during the rut. So, uh, let's say mid-September, I'm heading out to, an over-the-counter hunt in Idaho. I'm, I'm heading out. I, I'm walking into the woods. I'm excited. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hunt me an elk. Uh, 
Where well, you sound like I, a green horn. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Where uh, where do where do I um, as far as calling? Where do I start? Well, first you have to know how to call. You know, I mean, so so you you bottom out read, and so now you've gone through the necessary steps that you can use a read to some extent. So once you start understanding the different sounds of the elk, which is part of learning to read, you have to understand when you're going to practice. Understand the sound you're practicing. Don't go, oh, there's a cow call. No. Say, I'm practicing a cow that is socializing with other elk. That's how you have to think. Then you put the right emotion into it. You're putting the right feeling. And I'm just talking like you and I are talking. But if I started getting upset, I raised my voice and the emotion gets a little more intense. This is what cows are doing. So when you learn, if you're going to practice a social cow sound, you're going to go like this. And you're going to get the right, uh, you know, emotion behind. You're going to feel, okay, this is nothing exciting. I don't need to do any dancing around with it. That's it. But when a cow starts getting separated and doesn't answer back, then you're going to hear this sound. Because they're not responding back. So now when you're practicing that sound, which is a, a kind of a regathering sound or come back over this way, you're getting too far. I don't know where you are. I don't see you and I don't hear you. That's what you're practicing. So as you practice that sound, that cow call, you know what the message is you're sending. That's how you learn. It's like if you're going to learn Spanish and you're learning a word and nobody tells you what that word or two words mean. And you're just going through the motions. You have no idea. So, But someone says, here's what you're saying. Now you're putting the right feeling behind it. You know how, if you're going to say, uh, I hate you or I love you. You see, you're putting the right tone. And that's what you're doing with the elk sound. Now, if that same cow was not getting any response, then she's going to lengthen it out. She can't find him, so she's trying to call him back. Can you guys hear me? And so as you practice, you get the idea of what is the message you're sending. That's how you practice. So now as you practice this and you get in touch with what they sound like, what the, what the message is, what the bull sounds are, now I'm going out there as Joe Hunter as you presented the question. If I'm going to use an elk sound, I know exactly what I'm saying. So if I receive a response back, I'm like, okay, I'm listening for what they're saying now. I'm not just hearing a bugle and go oh there's a bull over there i used to do that years ago who didn't but once you start getting an idea of the of the emotion or the tone of that bugle remember this was a location bugle you can tell there's really nothing to it and this is an elk in search of they're trying to find other elk they don't know where they're at now if they find one and one responds back he's going to go and so you see, he just gives you, shortens it up and lets you know that he heard you. Now, if an elk is upset because you're another bull bugling in his area and he has a cow coming into heat, you're going to hear him do more of something like this. You see, he puts a little bit of anger behind it. He doesn't like you're in the area, so he's telling you to stay back. You've noticed the three different tones, uh, and that is the message you're sending another elk. Now, if another elk really gets upset, he's going to lip ball. And so he's going to give more of a guttural sound like this. You see, that's the top of the anger chain. 
So you start listening to those four sounds. And now when you hear one or the other, become familiar with them. Practice them. You know what they are. The app shows you every one of those sounds exactly and how to make that sound. And you're going to listen to them over and over and get it built into your memory. So when you're in the woods and you hear this, this, or this, you know what to produce back. You know you're going to communicate with them. You're talking with them. You're not just going, I heard an elk, I'm going to bugle. I heard an elk, I'm going to cow call. He's given a lip ball because you bugled and now you cow call just right there, right next. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. This is how people blow opportunities on public land over the counter bulls because they get hammered so much. They read what an imposter has to offer and they know immediately suspicion is, arise, is aroused in them and away they go. They're not communicating with them. They're not saying the right things, the things that would make sense in that encounter. So as you learn these things and I jump into the woods and I start using that location bugle or I'm trying to use some cow calls in relation to a, a bugle as I'm moving through the woods like it's a natural movement, a lot of times other elk will respond to that. And they just give away their position. That's all you're trying to do is find out where they're at. And so you look for these things. You see where I gave a location bugle? And how do you know when a bull's given a location bugle? So you can represent the same thing. He's on the move. When an elk is moving and calling, moving and calling, moving and calling, he, with that location sound, he is in search of, okay? Now, if this bull stopped or a bull stopped and you walked up the mountain and you're going up there and you got a bull that's bugling from one spot and he bugles again, minutes later, he bugles again and you're still heading up. He was a half a mile away when you first barely heard him. He's now bugled seven or eight times. Nothing's answered him. That's a bull advertising his position. He's trying to draw cows to him. He has not moved, so he's not locating. He's advertising. He's staying there so these cows, when he finds him or hear him, they come to him. That's how that bulls build a harem. In most cases, they call and elk come. They do not go running over every little draw and ridge and trying to find an elk and draw and add them to the harem. No, they call and they come. That's how they do this. So you're looking for these different sounds. If this were to happen, now I'm going to give that bull what he wants. Now, if I get a bull that's locating and moving, 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 one of my best odds is to challenge that bull real quick. Just scream at him. Why am I challenging him? It tells him I have a hot cow. What is that bull looking for? He's not just looking for elk. He's looking for the bulls or the herds that have the cow coming into heat. That's his only interest. Just like when a big buck, big muley buck or whitetails, they're hitting little doe groups here, one here, one here. They'll stay there for minutes if there's no hot doe and off they move until they find the group with the doe, the hot doe. So they're not just looking for a doe. They're looking for the hot ones. That's the ones that they have the urge for. They want to breed these. They want to be around them. they want to scent check the area. So Understanding the whole gamut here, it's not I'm going to walk out and I'm just going to bugle and I know nothing else and I hope a bull comes running to me. No, you're going to be one of those guys that have your tag in your pocket when the hunt is over. So you, you need to educate yourself and understand the different times bulls will use a different sound and why they use it. So now you know what to do, how to handle that situation. It's the same as if you walked out there and hunted for two or three days and never heard a sound. No matter how much you called, they may never made a peep, but you knew they were elk there. You need to know how to call those elk in. So that's one of our fortes is you how to call in elk that don't call back because nothing's ready. No right action. These elk are quiet, but they're very killable at this time. So anyway, when I jump into the woods and I'm going to use sounds, it all depends on what's going on out there. But locate bugle is probably my number one choice because i like to cover ground i'm not sitting in a water hole or a wallow or a mineral lick or and i'm sitting at the feeding bedding area there's nothing wrong with those things but i've kind of like grown past that 
because I absolutely love the challenge of beating elk in their own game by using their sounds against them. But other hunters don't need to all do that, but it, but it works for us, and we are 100% on killing elk with our bows for 27 years out of 27 years on public land over-the-counter tags. And so I'm not going to fix something that's not broke. And I really enjoy doing that. So that's that's my style. But I may recommend something different for a new guy if he just wants to kill an elk. And he doesn't matter what it is. See, when I'm calling for elk and I'm a honey, Sam, I'm tailoring all my sounds toward bulls. So I'm not using a lot of cow sounds. I'm not doing blind cold calling. I'm not using a creative cow sequence. I don't do those types of setups like I did years and years ago just so I could see elk. Now I'm targeting all my sounds. So my odds are much higher that I'm going to draw bulls in first because I'm, we shoot like fives and sixes. That's all we, we, we want because we are that effective at pulling bulls to us. And so, but if person, if people don't have that confidence and that those years of experience, they need to start like the rest of us did and just get elk at least to come in close enough. So you have those opportunities because just cause you have an elk there at 15 yards or 35 yards, it doesn't mean you're going to take it. I'll tell you right now, a lot <laughs> of little things come up Their, you know, their position, their angle brush in the way, uh, all of a sudden the wind switched. I mean, there's a lot of little things that can happen. So that's why I like to tell newer folks, to make sure that when you get that first legal elk, other than a calf, I, I you know, that's legal, I know, but I, I, I never recommend people to shoot calves, you know, let them grow up a little bit. You know, that's just my opinion, but I, go ahead and take a nice healthy cow. But if, if you're wanting to just call elk and you want to bring elk to you, your first hunting trip out, there's two things you do. Obviously, you're going to have to learn how to use a reed and make some sounds. But number one, use a cold calling sequence. Cold calling sequence is best used the first two hours of the morning, and you're going to be anywhere near the feeding area uh, where elk are, where, within earshot. They could be hundreds of yards away, even a half a mile away, and they can come to you. So you don't need to be on top of them. Then once 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning hits, they're going to be in their bedding area. So get to where you think the bedding area may be, whether you saw elk go into the timber and they never came out, or you glassed them from way off, or you have ideas about where they should be bedding. I like to try to get within a couple hundred yards of it. If I can get a hair closer, I will. Because remember, we're talking quiet elk here. They're not saying anything. We saw a bull go in there and he's got five or six cows, or we just saw a bunch of cows go in and then we know they're in there. Get on the peripheral of it. Within a couple hundred yards, if you can get a hair closer, go ahead, but don't get in on it. You want to pull them out of it. Now you go to what I call as a creative cow calling sequence. And all this is on the app, even in video form. It shows you the exact sequence of sounds being used. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to plug it, but a lot of people, they don't have a good idea of, of a concept unless they see it visually. So it does help, and then they hear the actual sounds. But when you get to the bedding area, you have a captive audience. They're there from 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock that evening. They get up and mill around in water, but they stay right there. So you got like eight hours of they don't move. They're there. And if you go through this creative cow calling sequence and really mix it up, talk to each other like you're a little group there, you can't believe how it pulls them over to you because they're a herd animal. They don't know who you are. Remember in the beginning, they know each other by their sound. And they also know each other by sight or smell. But in this particular case, you got the wind. They don't know who you are. They hear you repetitiously over there off and on for hours. Here they come. And you don't want them to see you, and you don't want to see them until it's time to, to draw your bow. But they'll come sneaking in, and they just, next thing you know, here they come. I, I've had elk come in and then leave. 30 minutes later, here comes other elk. They leave, and then all of a sudden, who knows what time goes by, but here comes other elk. I mean, bulls, cows, everything. You just never know what's going to show up. 
But the point is, is it flat works and you don't have to run through the mountains to do this. Get into those specific areas. Those two things, cold calling near the feeding, go to the creative calling where you're going to anchor down and stay there a while and have the elk come to you. Between those two calling setups, you give yourself three or four days and I promise you, you guys will draw your bow back at least six times, at least I mean, this is how effective it is, and I'm talking over the counter. So, you know, you're, when you're going to go hunt an area like that, you want to make sure you're not sitting right on top of, you know, camps all sitting there, people going everywhere. I try to find, you know, areas that are a little bit secluded, and, and usually I can find those within a mile and a half of a, of a road. So it's not like they're uh, like finding a needle in a haystack, not at all. They're everywhere. I mean, they're we can even talk about that later, but I can show you the fastest way to find feeding areas and bedding areas when you're ready to cover that part. No, that'll, that'll definitely be something great to touch on. Um, so this cold calling sequence, uh, you're saying that, you know, when they're feeding in the first two hours of the morning and, and mm-hmm. before they're ready to head to their beds, what, uh, what does that consist of? What are you, what are you trying to communicate with that cold calling sequence? That there's a group over here that they that they don't know, and it only has to be if you're one person. Uh, all you have to sound like is you know a couple of elk, two, three. If there's two of you, get thirty yards apart and call. And again, make sure your setup is rock solid. That the elk that come your way have to come within your shooting range before they can see where the source is coming from. If there's three of you or four of you, kind of get in a triangle if there's three of you and all three of you can be 30 yards apart or so and you each call and you all have your little thing and and i always recommend to people if you know you're going to be hunting with multiple people two three four whatever and you don't want to separate some people will and they're in in a tag team group there's only two of them some like to be together because maybe it's two kids or a good friend and and a 15 year old son and so you want all three to be there get in that little triangle and, and each one will call and practice at home how you're going to call. So each one you can critique each other and go, wait, 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 wait. Uh, you're being like predictable. It sounds like a tape recorder out there. I want you to mix up the tone, the sound, uh, the volume, soft, a little bit louder. And you're going to hear me call and then you hear my buddy call. And all of once you get in sync, it's like, wow. We are good. I mean, <laughs> we sound good. And so you sound believable out there. And then if an elk is starting to come in, it's going to only come in. One of you is going to see it because you're in a triangle. And the one that hears it or sees something coming or knows something's coming, they can hear it walking or they see it, he shuts up. And the other two go, hey, wait a minute. So-and-so hasn't made a sound. There's something. He, he, he's on to something. So the other two kind of keep going, make sure they're hidden, you know, and do whatever it takes to keep this elk coming in. And so, you know, you, and you can do this in a, in a rectangle if there's four of you. And so you can spread out, just make sure the wind's in your favor and you're in a good tight setup per person and you never know who the elk's going to come to. And these are super deadly uh, uh, tactics to do out there. And the elk do the moving. That is advantage hunter every time as opposed to the hunter trying to sneak in on elk he thinks over there. And because you're, you're in their home ground, they see every little movement. If you took your buddy, Sam, one of your friends, and you put him 50 yards in the cover, and you stayed back, and you just watch, and you say, okay, I want you to try to sneak in, and I don't want to see you. He wouldn't move 10 feet before you caught a flash of something, you see, and because there's just not that much cover out there. So it gives you the advantage as a hunter that you see the elk, too. And so if, if the cover is thin and you're trying to make your way to one, remember that. If those elk see you, you have to listen to them. Because they'll make a certain sound if they see you because they don't know if you're a possible threat or what they were unsure what they saw because they're not winning you. But they'll either give you that nervous grunt or he may even growl at you. 
and because he might think it's another bull. And so they'll just give you that deep growl. And if you don't respond back or say anything, they're gone because they don't know if it's a wolf, it's a bear, a mountain lion. They have no idea what kind of predators out there. But when it's a real elk, they'll usually get a satisfying response or a visual for some, from the growl or the nervous grunt. And so, and you know, in that nervous grunt, if you hear that, if you're going to hear, you're going to hear that one note. That's it. If he growls at you as you're slipping in and you think you're being sneaky and you hear a bull go, that means you've been, you've been had. He knows you're there. So you need to say something to him. So he thinks you're an elk and calm him down and see, that's the ticket right there. And a lot of guys don't realize that they hear an elk sound out there. Oh, he's just right there. Okay. I'm so close. But if they get no satisfying response or a satisfying visual, they're gone. They're out of there. And they don't know what happened. You have no idea what, <laughs> what, what took place. And so that's one of the really good things about calling elk and understanding elk. You should know when something works, the reason why, and you should know the reason why it didn't. Not like, God, they just didn't want to play today. They didn't cooperate. Blah, it's everything, but you have no idea really why. Once you start being that guy that knows why something failed, that's when you start learning. That's when you get smart. You get elk smarts because now you know what to avoid and what not to. So, you know, I mean, this is how you build this thing. Like I said in the beginning, it's kind of a process that you go through and you start understanding these things. So take advantage of some of the information that's out there today that we didn't have 50 years ago to cut that learning curve way back and to actually experience, you know, some success right now on your first trips out there. So with the cold calling, you're looking to (laughs) make yourself sound like a group of elk and and uh generally so so does that tend to consist mostly of in uh that those social cow calls we talked about earlier are there bugles thrown into that yeah you can you know that's an option you can give a, a a bugle into it if you like the only reason you would put a bugle into it is to say there's a bull there now if you turned it around and you showed the bull was trying to show that he had you know a cow coming into heat, then he's going to have to display himself and use sounds that shows he has a hot cow. But that's a totally different sequence that you would use. That's going to basically target bulls and eliminate cows to come in. And that's one of my my sequences that uh, I recommend for people that want to target bulls only. But so when you're using these cow sounds, yes, I mean, all you need is a read, and you're going to cast your sound to the left, cast your sound to the right. You're going to call through your tube. You're going to turn around and call if you're a lone hunter. You know, here's a cow call. Now, watch the difference between this and no tube, and then I'm going to add the tube. So it changes things, and you sound like a different elk. So here's just some standard social sound. You notice the difference between the tube and that without the tube. It's more echoey. It gives a little more distance. And when you start pointing that bugle in different directions and then take it away and make a couple more, you just sound like different elk. You don't sound like the same one. And you can chirp with it like maybe you're more of a calf, kind of a. See, that's more what calves do. They don't have that mature cow sound. That They don't have that. And so they just snap it off and they're called chirps calf chirps so you can mix it up those are the things you want to learn how to do with a mouth read before you ever get into the woods and so it's really easy to replicate two or three elk and that's all you have to be you don't have to be 20 just a few that's it and you just keep planting the seed to rustle in the brush kind of stomping the ground like they're feeding dinking around and then i like to quiet down after five or six minutes sam and don't say anything 
give it a minute or two, go by, and then just a, a little bit of murmuring back and forth, just real soft cow calls to your left, to your right, real soft if I'm by myself. And what does that tell these other elk? They haven't moved. They're still right there. Do it again. Pick it back up. Let it pause out for a few minutes. And after about 10, 15 minutes of doing this, these other elk realize you're bedded there. They're just communicating back and forth, making sure because they're not bedded on top of each other. They may be 50 yards apart. I mean, elk are funny animals. Sometimes they are bedded real close by. Others aren't. And so I like to mimic that and make it as natural sounding and realistic as possible. You see, it's the same as any sequence. I don't try to just get real rapid and carried away and stupid sounding because then you're going off the charts. You may think you sound good and it's good, but it's not natural. It's not what you normally hear out there. So I try to tone it down and keep it very natural. Even those soft sounds, they'll carry two or 300 yards easily for an elk. We may not hear it that far, but they do. So once you're doing that, you cannot believe how it pulls elk in. Sometimes they come in vocal and they, you know, they'll start bugling it, but listen to them. When they bugle, he's going to be trying to call you to him. Anytime a bull bugles your cow call, he's calling you to him. But he may also come towards you. So as he's coming and he's calling, invite him over. Give him that one sound, which I told you, which is asking him. It's an assembly. Come on over. Regathering. You see how you changed your tone from this? You see, it has t- totally different meaning to the elk. And so once you lengthen that out and you drop it off, this is saying, come on over, come on over. This is what you're telling him. So see, or her, and that's what's so cool about it. You start talking elk when you're out there. And so when they respond to you, you have just sold to them 100% that you are the real deal. See, most people don't do that. They just keep the cow calling. They just keep going whatever because that's all they know. So to have that confidence as a new hunter when you go out there, learn these couple three little cow sounds what they mean what their message is and the three or four bull sounds just understand what they are you may not even use them all but you understand them so when you hear them you know what's going on and what they're saying to you so you can respond back in a in a in a likely manner and one that keeps them calm and keeps them coming well so speaking of that and keeping them calm and coming you mentioned you mentioned the the nervous grunt and the growl for when the jig is up if you will um <laughs> <laughs> to an extent i mean and, you know they just yeah. know you're there what are uh what are some different responses in a situation like that that would tend to either calm that bull down or that those cows down or uh, uh what what would be some various responses you could use in a situation like that where you're hearing that sound well in the growl in in, in the instance of the growl you're usually pretty darn close uh you're 70 yards or less or else he doesn't even bother with it that's what i've noticed over the years and so cow calls the the safest sound to use at that time because he doesn't know what you are has no idea you snuck in remember you're going in on his bugling and it got just a little bit nasty enough that you were making sounds or he saw a flash of something and he wants to know what you are that's basically and if it's a bull he's telling he's warning you to stay back and so that's why you're getting that, you know, that's why you're getting that sound. And so I like to cow call right then. And I usually will let him know I cow call right after he says it. I don't wait two minutes and cow call. I let him know I heard him and it's only me. It's only a cow. Well, the th- here's a seed you've planted in his mind of excitement. He doesn't know who you are. So there's a cow, yes, but it's not one of his cows. It's not a cow I'm familiar with. So this automatically raises his eyebrows, so to speak, and it's like, huh, 
I wonder who that is. You see, it calms him down. So in this instance, I would go ahead and use a cow call, calm him down, and feel free to pop and snap a few things as you're moving around. Don't be quiet. Just pop things. Make it natural. And, and you can actually just start walking to him if you're a lone hunter until you finally get to the distance you need. He isn't going anywhere. As a matter of fact, there's a good chance once you cow call, he tries to call you to him. He may give you that short roundup. You guys are close. He may even just give you some chuckling. He's giving you a direction. He's inviting you to come on up to him. You see, and that's what they do. This is elk talk. This is the elk world. You're not going to hear a locator bugle from him. You're not going to hear the challenge bugle. You're not going to get a lip ball out of him. You're not going to get any of that. You're going to get communication he's going to talk to you just like if you were talking to somebody else out there so realize that he may even start raking he may start raking and raking and displaying because he's encouraging you to come on up and he wants to show off to you that he is a dominant structured animal worth being with part of his group or his harem or even your his first cow but this is the things they do during the rut so look for all those little signs so if you get the growl that's kind of how how you handle it if you get the nervous grunt what were you doing for him to give you the nervous grunt? Were you bugling and he got to a certain point? Were you cow calling? Uh, were you doing both? You know, those things, those things you have to consider. That is what, how you're going to play it out. There's no, it's not one little thing you do every time. If you did try to force something down his throat every time, I would cow call and run right at him. That's how I've killed, I believe it's been three bulls by doing that. Um, most of the time, you know, I'm working them and they're coming in. But there are times when you're going to get a bull and he hits you with that nervous grunt and he can stick around. He may pace around. I've had him pace around for 10 minutes and keep giving it, giving it, giving it, giving it, giving it, you know, and just playing with him. But if you want to kill that elk, say it was a cow that did it and you don't want a cow, you might as well just leave because <laughs> it's not going to turn out good. So you get out of there. And sometimes when they, when I do cow, when, when a cow is doing it and I just, you know, and I know it's not going to turn out good, I leave and I'll, I'll cow call my way out of there and just take off. Making them think that there was the elk there, but it left. And so it doesn't pursue her. She's not pursuing me to, to some extent. She just kind of wanders off and away she goes. But if it's a bull, I'm usually going to go ahead and cow call and run right at him. As long as I got the cover and I got the wind, of course, I'm not running through an opening. I'm just going to cow call just like a like when I used to call cows in all the time with a bugle. You can call cows in, and when, they, when they're starting to come in, Sam, they make a special sound saying, I'm coming. That's what they do. They get very excited over it. And this is cows that are accepting the invite, not cows that are just wandering around. This is one saying, I'm coming, and they'll make a sound like this. And they'll come running right at you. And that's what they do. And so when you get six, seven, eight of them, three of them, and they're all doing it, you ought to see it. <laughs> it's a riot. And I mean, they're just, rah, 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 and they're just coming in. And so years and years ago, I can't even remember the first time I heard it. I mean, a long time ago, I started using it against bulls. And when, when I get close enough and use a cow call, and because there's times you're going to use a cow call out there and the bull just goes nuts. You bugle and he shuts up and he don't move. Then there's the opposite. You'll cow call, and he will not express himself at all. Nothing. Deader than a doornail. You bugle, he goes bananas. And so, you know, you feel him out. But when you get a bull going like that with a cow call, and he's calling you to him, 
And you notice after two or three times, after a minute, 90 seconds gone by, he hasn't moved. He's got cows and he's not going to come. So you know you got to take it to him. Now, if it's a satellite, most cases you're going to notice a calling where he's excited. He's already answered you. He's breaking the distance. So now you got to find a place to set up because you're going to call this bull all the way to you. But the other one, you got to go at him. Now, if I heard the nervous grunt, I'm close, he's close, I am not even going to worry about this bull coming to me. I am going to chatter that chirp and go right at him and don't mess around because he thinks it's the cow he just asked for uh, an idea a satisfying response or an identification a visual that's what he said with the nervous grunt it was a nervous reaction of the present situation maybe you called him to that point and he can't see you and he's all right i want to see you before i come any further or he saw a movement or he was bedded and you're walking through the woods and all of a sudden you you sprung on him out of nowhere and he jumps up and hits you with that (laughs) Real quick and like, what are you? He doesn't know. So you can calm him down real fast. But to sit back and call and do nothing, nine times out of ten, you will not get him to run towards you and come into bow range. You could also, you know, you could give him a short roundup bugle. You could give him a, a, a chuckle, which is an invite to come on over this way. You see, there are things to communicate with, but nine times out of ten, he's pretty nervous and he's not going to do it. So I have found over the years, which you ask, what's the best tactic run right at them cow calling and they just stay right there they think the cow is going to come busting out and once you get start getting close that's when you knock an arrow and knock an arrow and just start slipping moving through and hope he starts raking that's your best alternative because then he's he's not paying attention to the situation if he doesn't just keep slipping through moving moving and if you have to just turn around if you even i mean you're 25 yards away and you still can't see him good just turn around and just give a soft cow call that's it and many times he'll just step right out i've even given the nervous grunt I've even got close enough where I still couldn't get a shot. And so I just hit them just like that. And they step right out looking because you're asking them the same thing they just asked you. But now you're right here instead of back there. And you're like, okay, I've made it this far. I need to see you. I want to make sure now. And out they pop. They don't come any closer, but they usually will pop right into the open or at least enough vitals. So remember those little things. Those are the things that punch tags right there. More so than I sat back and bugled and cow call and these elk just came running right to me. I heard them. I went home. You know, it, it really doesn't happen like that. If it does, well, God bless you because it don't happen very often. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You work them and you work them and you work them. But when you have all these little things in your arsenal, it's like there's nothing you can't handle when you're out there. And that's why podcasts like this and information is so valuable because it could take you 10 years before you pick up one of these points and assemble them all together. And now you start getting a complete picture of it. And so, you know, guys need to really listen to this stuff closely because there's so much more than just saying I'm going to cow call or I'm going to bugle out there. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com so what are some other maybe common situations that uh, that an elk hunter might find themselves in? We talked, like you said, about uh, surprising surprising an elk and they, they give you that, that nervous grunt. We talked about uh, a little bit about those location bugles and, and mm-hmm. the different types of responses from those. Um, 
Mm-hmm. What are some maybe you know you're uh, they're in their bed and and you're stalking in. What are what are some situations you might uh, you might find yourself in around that? Well, you know if you're glass and elk and because it's that open and you spot something you can slip in quietly. You know I'm not going to call. I'm gonna I'm going to try to use the thermals to my uh, advantage as well as the undulation of the terrain. Unfortunately, most of the country I hunt is thick timber by choice. I've hunted seven states, and I do everything I can to get into the thick timber. And if I find elk out of it, I wait for him to get into it because that's where I'm going to get them, right there. I, I, I know trying to call elk that are standing in the open, your odds just go way down because so many times they want to see what they're hearing, even though you're hidden in the timber at the timber's edge. It's just it's not high odds production Good results just don't happen. It's very rare. And so I like to get them in the cover. But if I'm, if I'm working, let's say I go into the woods and I hear multiple bulls bugling. I, and they're on their own. I am just happen to cross a ridge. I'm three-quarters of a mile in, a mile, whatever the case may be. And I get in there and I hear multiple bulls bugling. I already know for a fact there's a hot cow. That's the only reason competition arises in the woods. Outside of that, you have a lone bull bugle here, a lone bull bugle there, and that's blah, 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 but not rut fest action. When you have several bulls bugling in one spot, that's a breeding sequence. That's what's taking place there. So I try to get a couple of hundred yards away from the action. I already know I'm not calling the herd bull in. I already know that. He's completely out of my mind. He's going to answer everything I do, but he's not going to come. He won't leave his cows attended, unattended to come to me like the satellites will, who have nothing to defend. So I know when I set up, I'm going to probably have a five or a small five by six. You never know what's going to come from what's what the satellites are because I don't see them. It's timber. So this is a real common uh, setting sometimes is you're going to hear multiple bulls bugling. So if you just want to kill a bull right there, get in there and imitate the breeding sequence. That's what you're going to do. That's what brought the satellites there in the first place. And here they come trotting over because they also want to check this area. They want to because you're producing the same sounds that that herd bull is doing that told them there's a hot cow there. So now you're going to go through your little sequence of sparingly very few cow sounds, but you're going to go into more bull sounds. You're going to go into just short lip balls, some panting, some glunking, raking the tree that shows you have a hot cow present. Bulls do not do that until there's a, unless there's a hot cow in their presence. They won't make any of those sounds like that. So to imitate that sequence, you're going to pull that satellite right away. Now, if you want to kill the herd bull, you're going to have to get to the herd bull to kill him. Now, in many cases, the satellites are between you and the herd bull. Why are they like that? Because that's the way the wind's going. They're sent, they can smell the scent of those hot cows or the hot cow in there. They're not on the backside where they smell nothing. No, they get right there where they can enjoy the scent, and it drives them nuts. Their, you know, their, their testosterone levels are rising. They're going crazy. They're bugling. They're trying to call the cow out of there. They're not trying to fight the uh, herd bull. Not at all. Or they go right in there and challenge him. So they're trying to stay back. You'll notice when they're bugle, they're not giving challenging bugles. They're giving more of a roundup bugle. And many times you'll notice those satellites will even try to call the cows away, and they'll use a couple of cow sounds. And you'll hear them. And you'll hear the bull, and he'll sound like this right here. You notice how those cow sounds rolled right into the bugle? No hesitation. None. You know it's from the same animal. There wasn't cow calls, pause, bugle. No, it's all one. Monolithic, so to speak. And so you'll hear him do this, and he's trying to call the cow out of there. So see, I use those techniques. So if I'm trying to kill the herd bull, 
I may I, I have to push those satellites out of the way, get them out of my way, and once I get in close, it depends how aggressive that herd bull was. If I hear him bugling, and he's kind of you know I, I I've heard a lot of them, so I know when they're super aggressive on full tilt or not and if i don't think he's right there yet i'm gonna get him there but he's not there yet i try to call his cow from him. he knows i'm not talking to him i'm trying to call that cow and what is he going to do when i give those couple cow sounds and that roundup bugles what i gave he is going to come over me and challenge me and tell me to get the crud out of dodge and while i'm waiting for him as soon as he does i'm going to give him about a level five challenge telling him to stay back i don't want to give him everything i got because I can't, I can't build momentum then and get him really angry. So I'm going to give him one more like this. Like, don't push me around. Don't tell me what to do. I am not leaving right here. And then I immediately try to call the cow back. Usually, that's all it takes. It's a done deal. Here he comes. Because remember, you're close now. You're right here. You're not 200 yards away. So when I'm in that situation, you make it convenient for him. And I should mention, I had to get to the herd bull to do this, right? So I had to clear a path. So in order to clear a path, the simplest way to clear a path to a herd bull or to a, a bull, and there's other elk in the way, whether they're bulls or cows, bugle your way to them. You adding another bugle into the mix does mean squat to the herd bull. The herd bull has two or three satellites or whatever is there harassing the tar out of him. And what is he doing? Nothing. He's not moving. He's been right there. You know why? He's where he wants to be. He's at his destination. That's why everything's coming from one spot. So now I try to get back three or 400 yards, and I'm going to bugle about every 50, 75 yards. And I'm going to bugle my way right to him. And as I get closer, those satellites all split to the side. They don't leave. They get out of the way. Because how many bulls have you ever been able to bugle your way right to him, and they stand there so you can arrow them? <laughs> like none. They run. They move. They don't like that. And so the cows move too. everything. They just start opening up the corridor, which the herd bull is not standing right in the midst of them all. He's usually on a defensive area and he's, he's over there, but he's not going to run from you. He's the one that doesn't run because you only have to do this. And still, you're probably still going to be 200 yards from the herd bull, but those other bulls will keep that 200 yards from you. See, they keep pushing back, pushing back. So now you've plowed and opened the way you've opened the red sea. That's <laughs> what you're going to do. And now you have an avenue to go right there. Nothing's going to see you. Nothing's going to blow your cover. You Now it's just the wind in your face and the cover. And now you perform those tactics. Like I said, sometimes I just start cow calling. And if he until, and he gets excited, he starts roundup bugling me in. I run right at him and try to kill him with the cow call. I just run right at him giving the cow call. Now, if I get to a certain spot and I can't go any closer, but I'm like right on top of him, but there's a small opening. The minute he calls for that cow again, now I'll run a challenge right over the top, making him think another bull slipped in and is trying to grab this cow. And the minute I show that defense action and I bugle over him when he tries to call the cow, I'm showing him that this cow I have, who he has no idea who it is, he doesn't know her by his sound, that she's hot. She's coming into heat. Otherwise, I don't get defensive over it. Nothing. So see, this is why you do these actions, not do this, do that, and hope for the best. No, here's why you're doing it and what to expect. You see, because that's why he's defending those satellites. He's got a hot cow. Three days ago, all those bulls were mingling with each other and the cows. All those bulls were staying within five yards of each other. Couldn't care less because there's no hot cows. Nothing to breed. They get along. The minute one cow starts dripping and leaking and shows a sign of estrus, boom. The, the, the herd bull, the guy who's the kingpin there, now starts separating the group and pushing them back. And what's interesting to note when you watch this, this is one of the cool things about living in elk country and seeing all these things, is some of these younger bulls, 
they don't know what's going on. So he's over there hooking them and pushing them out, and they go a few yards, and they're like, I've, we've been with you now for days. What's the problem here? I have the same urges as you. I'm not leaving. <laughs> well, then he gets nasty with them. He not only gives them the verbal uh, retribution to get back or else, he starts hooking them and horning them hard. I mean, he can cause blood. and so, and so, But it takes him a couple of times to do it because these satellites don't know what the heck's going on. This isn't something that happens all the time. So it, it, they learn real quick, though. So when he starts separating the groups out, and the bulls, meaning the bulls, and pushes them out, now they stay back in that comfort zone where they know he's not going to bother them at that 125, 150-yard range. And that's why you see him them bugling and bugling for that hot cow and him allowing them there. He, they know the distance he'll tolerate and not leave his cows unattended, especially the hot one. See, and these, these other satellites that are there, they know that when the herd bull gets done, that they have a chance to mount that cow. Because as I mentioned earlier, we were kind of talking about it, is that one cow will be, will be bred by four to six different bulls, not just the herd bull. Because once he's done his duty four, five, six times, he's totally spent. He cannot recuperate and keep breeding her. And she's in, she's in estrus for 12 to 15 hours, much more than he can handle. So now this cow goes out and seeks out these other bulls. The ones that she feels next in line through dominance and strength and that's going to offer her a possible good strong calf that endures tough times, winters, and so on. And so she seeks out these other bugles now, you see, and a lot of people don't realize that. And that's why these bulls will continually sit back there and bugle and bugle and bugle, not because they're trying to fight the bull. They're trying to advertise to that cow who they are and what they have to offer. So see, this is all really cool stuff when you start understanding how this whole picture falls into place here. So trying to get that herd bull, you open the way up. If you want the satellite, you go to the breeding sequence. If you get into a situation like that and you have a herd bull with cows and he's not being harassed by anything, but you see him, you see him going to timber, you see him in the open and leave or whatever, you know, he's there, get in there and try to pull that bull away. How are you going to pull him away? Cow call? No. Now you go to what I call a slow play breeding sequence. So see, the breeding sequence before was 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 directed at the satellites. Correct, Sam? Yep. Okay. Now I'm directing this to the to the herd bull. So now I'm going in and I'm trying to get him within 150 yards or so of the herd bull. I don't want to go in after him because he's not calling. I'm cow calling. He's saying nothing. So I'm just giving you an idea. This is quiet times now. So this bull isn't saying anything. Why? No hot cow. So I have to make him come to me. How do I make that bull come to me? How do I draw on his curiosity? Well, we've killed over 80 herd bulls in 27 years. I'll show you one of the things we use. This is deadly on this. Absolutely deadly. And we're talking over-the-counter bulls here. We're not talking private property, special privileges, these elk never see people. No. And what's so cool about this one I'm going to share with you is there could be hunters within 300 yards of you and they'd never hear you. This is a really good one for, for close-knit. You know there's elk there, but there's people hunting. There's pressure. This is money. This is dynamite. So, I mean, it always gets <laughs> me so excited because I call so many bulls in with it. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've been 16 for 16 on bulls and never lost one of them. Called every one of them in on over-the-counter public land by using techniques like this because this is the real deal out there. And so with this technique, I try to get close. 150 yards, I call that close. Close enough because I don't want to bust him out of his bedding area. If he never comes, you haven't heard nothing. He's still sitting there. But here's what I do. I convince him I have a hot cow. So now I get in there. 
I just wait a little bit. I kind of nestle in there and get a good spot. I look my covering over, making sure that when he slips in and he's coming, he's going to come, is that he has to get to my bow range. He, in my bow range, I like 40 yards or under. So I don't let him see where all this is happening outside of that distance. I make sure he has to come inside this or he's going to nervous grunt me or he's going to he's going to do something to say I'm where I should see this action and I see nothing. And so I eliminate that. That is huge to have a good setup. But it's, it's people who want to see an animal coming 100, 125 yards away so they can get ready, get set, get my arrow. You know, I want to see it all coming, coming, coming. And when he comes in, I want to shoot. Well, these elk aren't that stupid. They get hammered. So you got to have the tight setup and trust and have confidence in your sequence that he will show up. And so what I do is I get in there and usually I just try to plant the seed and I can either rake or I can give a cow call first. It really doesn't matter. But there's times I've raked. And all of a sudden, that bull just bugles me. So you never know. Most of the time, quiet. Doesn't say anything. So we're going we're gonna to go from this bull won't say a sound because he's the hardest one to know if he's coming or not. So here's what I do. I usually will go in there, and the very first thing I like doing is cow calling. And what I do, here's the sound I use right here, and I don't do any more. And I know he's going to hear me. Just like that. That's it. I don't do any more. And I know he heard it. There's no doubt I got his attention. And he doesn't know who I am. But so what? Nothing's running. There's no hot cows around that he's aware of. He's not going to get all excited about nothing. But I planted a seed. There's just a cow there. So now I just sit there and I wait a little bit. I don't do anything. I wait a minute, minute and a half. And I may do it again. Just real soft. Nothing. Wait again. I've already planted a seed. He knows there's a cow over there. He might have five of them with him, whatever we knew was over there. And now all of a sudden, after a minute or two goes by, I start raking and I rake and I rake. I start pawing the ground, just pawing. I'm, 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 I'm planting a seed in his mind's eye of what's going on over there. All right, there's a cow right there that came from that, the sounds. And now I got a bull over here that's raking, stomping the ground a little bit. And then all of a sudden you can throw out like maybe just one little whiny sound. Just that's it. No more. Don't do anything. And like she's being annoyed. And now all of a sudden I'm going to go through what a bull starts doing when there's a hot cow around. He starts panting and a bull will start panting. He'll even add some glunks. And so what he's doing is he, he's displaying for this cow through the raking and he'll you'll hear him make little sounds like this. He's not bugling. <laughs> and he, you can hear his heavy breathing and you make just little squeaks and he starts raking again and raking and raking he's pawing again and all of a sudden I'll just pop with my lips a little bit kind of that's all you make all those little sounds I'm clicking my tongue popping my, 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 my lips together like I'm spitting a hair off them and, and they see it's simulating a glunk this is what a bull likes to do when he's basically he's trying to taste the air because she's starting to drip and leak and he's tasting it in his mouth and it's exciting him. And he starts panting again and he's raking and raking and panting. And then sometimes I'll just run back and forth four or five yards. Crash, 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 bang, bang. Like I'm, you know, I'm corralling. I'm fooling with this cow. and I'm, But I'm containing her right there. When you start doing that, watch out because he's starting to come. The bull's getting up. And now you've piqued his interest that there's a hot cow right there. What does he want to do? He wants to smell that cow. And so I'm going through a slow play breeding sequence. If at any time 
And in most cases, I get him to bugle. I generally will get him to be, I would say 75% of the time, all of a sudden the bull gets and he bugles me. When he bugles me, he's dead. I know I got it. He's done. It's the one that sneaks in that you, God, is he coming? Is he coming? And most of the times they do come, but they don't say anything. But the minute he finally gets worked up, and usually it's the cow call when I'm going through this whole thing and I give that little annoying call again, and maybe I'm 10, 12 minutes into this. This doesn't happen in seconds. That's why it's called a slow play. And the minute he be, and I'm waiting this whole time, I'm going, okay, as soon as I hear this, now I'm going to call him to me. I'm going to get real urgent and I'm going to make this call, cow this bull, call this bull, making making him think she ha- he has a chance. Because when he bugles, remember, it's the cow that chooses the bull she wants to be with. She doesn't have to be with me. I'm just the one there that came in and, and heard her making these sounds and came in to check her out and go, oh, wow, she's hot. You know, she's coming into estrus. So now when this bull tries to call her away, which that's generally what happens, I immediately respond with the contact buzz, which is telling that bull to come on over. Now I'm inviting him. I'm I'm insistent on him coming over. And so he's going to hit me with a bugle that sounds like this. He's going to make that just that little. It's nothing big. He's just going to hit me with that. And that is the is the roundup bugle for, for you know, showing emotion behind. This isn't the long three note, three and a half second location. bugle. He's just going to say he hears me. And he's now he's trying to call me to him. Well, my, the bull she's with isn't going to like that. But immediately I'm going to try to call the bull my way. And I'm going to do this with the cow sound. <laughs> And that's what she'll do. She'll do four or five of those. And when I do that, good luck, because that bull's going to scream right over the top. But he's going to get very insistent with his roundup, and I'm waiting for him to do that. And as soon as he does, I go like this. I let him know, no way. You stay back. Or, and that's what you do. You, you, you build this whole momentum thing up. The only thing I got left back to do now to climb that ladder, if now he's screaming right over me, it's, I mean, it, we're, we're going boom, 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 boom. And I'm still raking and I may even pant for my cow. Cause I'm just getting really excited over the situation. Anytime a bull pants, whether he's panting a cow or another bull or the situation, it denotes excitement. He's building excitement. It's building it. And that's when you hear pant. They pant for no other reason. So as I continue with these pants, I may go ahead and give a couple pants and give that challenge bugle right over the top of it but the minute he comes in he's now he's going to start hearing the lip ball and as he comes i cut him off and if it even gets to that he's on his way that's it it's a done deal you took a bull that was dead to the world and you amped him up his temperature now i'm 25 to 30 minutes from where i first started that and so i'm i know this from using it for years that it's going to take me this long and that's why i call it a slow play because it's nothing that's going to take five minutes if i would have walked in there and known that bull was sitting right there with those cows and i started to give some bugles or cow calls and there's some challenge bugles out of nowhere what do you think would have happened Price. nothing yeah he wouldn't have done anything <laughs> it, you know he he it, it just wouldn't have sparked him it wouldn't have done nothing i had to slowly raise his temperature because where is his temperature it's sitting on c like your car when you get up on a cold winter morning <laughs> sitting right there you aren't i don't care how fast you turn the heat up what you do you're gonna get no heat it takes time for it to warm up that's what i do with that bull i take that 
needle and I move it from the C to a quarter of the way up and a little more and a little more until I got his bugle. And now I'm starting to cut him off. I'm getting the cow excited for her to call him in. And now I'm cutting him off. You stay back or else don't you dare come over. You see, I mean, that's what you're doing. <laughs> and, and all in communication, I'm using the right sounds that he expects to hear. And I know what I'm going to hear back. I know he's not going to locate bugle me. I know he's not going to nervous grunt me. He's not going to do any of that. He is going to come full bore now, and he is actually going to escalate his momentum and calling. The same with mine. And as soon as we cut off each other enough, it's done. Here he comes. And he's a dead bull. He should be a dead bull. Those are some of the techniques we use, and you can even use that if a guy was good enough and wanted to as a co-calling sequence. If you think you're somewhere and you're a good fresh sign and you're only after bulls now, because that's going to pull the bulls in way faster than cows. If I got into that sequence and I started doing dominant cow sounds with a little raking but a lot of cow sounds, I'm going to pull the cows and spikes in first. Because I used to do it. And that's what comes <laughs> in. And I don't want them. You know, I just don't want them. So I need to keep them back or they bust the whole thing up and it's over. So now I try to tailor all my calling. And that's not the only sequence I have, but I tailor it. For pulling bulls in first. And I've noticed over the years, dominant bull sounds pulls bulls in. Your odds are much better to pull in the branch antler bulls. And so, you know, that's how I would handle that quiet time. I've also used that one right there where I'm walking up in the woods and I'm a mile back or whatever and I hear a bull bugle. And he bugles a quarter mile away, maybe more. And so I sit there, okay, wait, I'm just listening, listening. Nothing answers, nothing. Three, four minutes go by, nothing. I thought, well, he bugled, I'll bugle, see what he does. So I bugle, nothing. <laughs> Not a thing. So I sit there and wait five minutes just to make sure. Nothing. Bugle again. Maybe even throw some cow calls in between. Nothing. <laughs> dead to the world. Okay. That's a dead bull. <laughs> He's done. I'm going <laughs> to kill that bull. Oh, yeah. I, but I'm I've got to feel out. I want to make sure there's nothing else going on up there. Okay. Now I got him. I know where he is. I only have to get within a couple hundred yards of him. That's it. I go through that same sequence right there. See, there's nothing bothering him. I know this bull sitting up there by himself. He isn't doing anything. And is he around other elk? You better believe it. They're herd animals. They're not by themselves. There's other cows around there. Probably a bull. Who knows what he is? He only gave one bugle from a distance. I can't tell. So now I'm going to get in there, and I know this is going to take me half an hour. I already know it, but I'm going to play that game. And if he never makes a sound, he's usually going to come to that doorstep. And I really do believe the odds are around 75 80%. That's how often they show up. But after 45 minutes to an hour, I get bored, and if they don't show up, I will leave. But it's very, very unusual because I already know he's there. And so I pique his interest, and I'll tell you the interesting thing about setups like this and the realistic calling, you know, because when you start making sounds like this, uh, Sam, kind of, and you start raking, I mean, they sound so real. They're so real that there's moaning and yawning and groaning for your excitement. And then you start panting a little bit and you're raking and you give a couple cow calls. And this bull, you know, he's only 150, 175 yards away. He's got no VCR, no TV, no iPhone. He's got nothing. And so they sit there waiting for this. It's September. 
They are waiting for cows to come into heat to spark them. So you slowly raise their temperature of excitement. Your, their testosterone levels already there. They have the urge to breed. There's just nothing to breed. So now I'm trying to create that spark into a flame. And I'm trying to raise that flame and turn up the heat. And as I do it with these sounds and I'm, you know, painting this picture in his mind's eye, what's going on like I did for the other bull, I do this every year. I mean, we call bull after bull after bull after bull in with this simple little sequence. When hunters start realizing it's the bull that tells other elk, I have a hot cow here, they will start putting two and two together and realize this is how you call bulls in when, when you're imitating a hot cow. The cow makes no sound. I don't care how whiny I got with that thing. It doesn't say anything that I'm hot, that I'm ready to be bred, nothing. It's the bull sounds that do it. And next time you get around these bulls and they're bugling and there's multiple, listen to them. You will hear them, and you'll hear the cows chip and chatter, too, because they talk. But it's the bull sounds that is cementing what's going on over there. So remember those sounds and which ones you want to use so you keep the communication, you know, reasonable and something to expect to hear. But when you start getting in those, those little situations, a bull who's advertised himself and it's better to cow call right to him because that's what he's asking, or you got a quiet herd bull used to slow play, or you have a bull bugle on his own. You know, there are just so many little things, or I don't care what I shoot, I'll use a cold calling sequence or a creative calling sequence. You know, if I have four bulls, what if it was early season? Early season, three or four bulls bachelored up everywhere. I'm in the higher country, and I know that's what's there. And I see them. I can catch them in the cover. What's my best way to call those bulls in? Am I going to go through the breeding sequence right there? I could, but the odds aren't that good. How come they're not that good? Because it's early. They know dang well nothing's been in for weeks, months, nothing. Why is it those herd bulls or those satellites or whatever size bull, and they could all be six points. It doesn't matter is because they're still displaying for one another. They're still in their bachelor group. So my best bet when I know they're still bachelored up is to be a bull. I need to plant the seed in their mind that there's a new kid in the block. All I need, again, I try to get within two or 300 yards of them. That's it. You don't have to be close. And now I'm going to go through the, through the motions that a real bull will use. There's no cow sounds involved, none. All he does is represent himself as a new kid in the block, and he's alert, alerting all the cows out there as well as other bulls. Well, because these bulls need to know where the pecking order is, who's who, because they know darn well when the cows come in heat, that three or four or five bulls can breed that one cow. What if three cows come in at the same time? There's way, no way in the world herbal can breed those cows. can't do it. <laughs> and so they get branched out, and these cows are looking for these next bulls who are the next in line dominant structures. So these bulls need to know where they're at in the pecking order. Are they going to be one of those three herd bulls or four? There's only seven bulls in the area or 12. Five of them are going to get lucky. Who am I? Where am I? Where do I fall in there? And so this is what happens. And so when a new bull comes in and these guys are still bachelored up, they're like, who? the hell's that i need to know who this is i need to know we need to size him up where does he fit does he just bump us all down or is he below all? they don't know believe it or not this is how elk think they need to know where they fit in that breeding process in that rutting time frame so when you go in and you start advertising yourself as a new bull they have no idea who you are and so you got to get very creative with your sounds your volume changes the length it's going to be a lot of location bugles 
mixed in with like Roundup, but nothing really over that. You're not challenging. You're not lip ball. You don't need to do any. You don't need to grunt and chuckle if you don't want. If you sound pretty good with chuckles, then just give some of those low ones, you know, like you're yearning. And, and this is what bulls do. They start feeling the urges to breed inside. They'll go in there and they'll start advertising themselves in new areas. And it's not something you hear all the time, but I've been out in the woods for so many years. I've heard bulls just sit there and go over. And I mean, I can hear them just making the weirdest sound all from one spot, you know. And when you do that, you will be shocked how many bulls, how many elk come in. And they don't say anything. They never bugle the way. I think my son that I've called in probably six different bulls and other and for others and myself that that he's killed that I've used and they've never made a peep. Not one yet has. They just come sneaking in. And I mean most of those shots are at twenty yards. I mean they come right on top of you. They just come plop, 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 plop. They're not looking for a fight. They're not looking for anything. It's like they just come in as as a oh, hero, he's over here somewhere. And they're like that. They're very lazy and lackadaisical. It's not a big deal, but here they come showing up. So you see, I have different things. It doesn't mean I can't use one thing for all, but my odds are much lower. And so when I get into a, a situation, I try to evaluate it real quick from past experiences and from our success rates. And I just like, okay, I know that this is my best tactic for this guy. I'm not going to run out there. Like guys on the internet will tell you, I challenge every bull I come across, you know, we're wonderful. It, how's that been working for you? You know, in most cases you don't get many chances. And if a guy has an eight day hunt and he has three days that are quiet, he doesn't hear anything. And maybe he hears one bull a day in the next four days. What are his odds of calling one of those in by using that technique? Of challenging everything you see because most people are calling one or two out of ten if they're lucky and they're not killing them they're finally getting them in but you never know what kind of obstruction or the angles they're presenting or what the wind like i said before all these little things can happen there's no guarantee because an animal standing at 25 yards you're going to kill him there's no way it just sometimes it doesn't work out and so they leave and so you know you look for those little things and so i like trying to tailor my calling that is going to give me an opportunity at every single bull, not just throw a couple of sounds out there and hope he's the one that's going to cooperate. I try to put the elk on the defense, and I've noticed this over the years, that if the bulls put me on the defense and they call the shots, I lose almost every one of those battles. But when I turn the tables and I force them to answer to me, to respond to me, to act physically, appearance-wise, like the calling setups I do, I make the elk move. I make them come to me. You see, I find my odds go through the roof that they're now in, they're in trouble because I catch them moving and I'm not moving. I'm still they they're in search mode. The only times I like being the aggressor, like I said before, is when I have to call call right to him and run at him because this isn't a slow play. This isn't a setup situation. This is like everything's taking place in 30 seconds. I either get it done or I don't. And so you see, it, it's because my hand is forced because of the of the action. And that they're calling me to him. And I think this is my best move. I get a nervous grunt. All right, I'm calling my way real quick because I found out already. I've killed several. This works. And if I bark back and forth with them, give them that nervous grunt, I find I lose them all. They, Yeah, they're interested and we go back and forth for 10 minutes, but then they leave. They wander off. I never do see them. So, you know, the, all those things. Okay, the, yeah, that was fun, but I still got my tag in my pocket. <laughs> so it didn't do me any good. No, really. And at time and time and time again, you find you walk away with that tag in your pocket. So you're going, okay, what can I do next? Here's how I got to change things. And, and that's where I start saying you're, I play the odds. So I have something for every bull I hear. And whether it works or not, I know that my chances are good. That if I hear him 
and this is what he's doing. Okay, here's how I'm going to attack it. And it's the things that you and I just discussed here. And that is how I evaluate, form a plan. But for a new hunter, you know, that's kind of a lot on his plate. So that's why, I, unless a guy's really a quick learner, that's why I really high, highly recommend a cold calling and a creative calling sequence. Uh, if somebody is in an area and they go, hey, I really want to try that slow play, I, I'm convincing other elk out there that I ha- breeding is going on and it forces them in. You know, it's that simple enough to learn that you can actually add that to your repertoire without being somebody that's hunted for five or 10 years. It doesn't take that much. And once you start seeing the results of elk coming to you, it just, it kills you because it's like, I'm going to use this all the time. I mean, that's what, (laughs) and that's what I do. I mean, this is a yearly thing. This is not once a year I use this, you know, no, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm using it constantly and, and it works on anything on, on just about every bull, you know, I called two in for my son last year. We called three bulls in. One of them, he couldn't get the shot on. And the next two, he killed. That was it. I was done with him. And so he killed the first one with a long bow. And then the second one he killed was with a compound. And and that slow play sweet sequence on that bull with the compound was a 345-inch bull. And the other one was a 5 by 6 with a long bow. And he shot that one at 28 yards. The other one was under 20 yards, actually. And... I actually was trying to push that bull away. That big bull, I thought he was a small bull by his sound. It was early in September, and he just sounded really wimpy. And usually I'm pretty good about sizing them up from their sound, and I really struck out on this one. So I, as far as I thought, he was a five-point. And I, so I kept pushing him away. I bugled my way right to him, right to him, trying to clear him out of my way so we could keep hunting and look for big bulls, bigger bulls. And we ended up hitting an opening, Sam. We hit an opening. It was like... 300 yards across it and i heard the bull bugle on the other side of it in the timber and so i decided well i'm gonna let me see if i can call this bull over i mean there's a huge opening let's see what he looks like at least see him through our binos so i step back in the timber and my son stays on the edge and so i decide okay i'm gonna go ahead and try to call him over so i give three rapid really fast cow calls it was something of that nature and immediately he answered well you've been answering every dang bugle as it was and so he immediately answered, and I figured that would stop him. So as soon as he answered, I kind of just gave a little bit of a bugle behind him, letting him know I was with her. And he pops right out into the edge. Or, I mean, he walked out of the timber. He couldn't have been 30 yards in it. <laughs> and he walks out to the edge, and I'm behind my son, I don't know, 20 yards or so. And he's standing right at the edge of the timber, but the bull can't see him. And my son turned around and looked at me, and he goes, Dad, that's a, that's a big bull. <laughs> kind of mouths it to me. And I'm like, what? No way. I mean, it sounded like nothing. And he goes, no, that's a, that's a big bull. And I'm like, we had already talked. I said, you know, uh, this was a Wyoming hunt. And he killed one in Idaho on over-the-counter. So now we're in Wyoming just a couple days later, two days later. And he's, he says, no. I said, make you know, we're going to shoot a 300 or nothing here. I said, let's make sure, you know, that's our target. He goes, no, that's a good one. So I'm well, let me call him over now. So <laughs> now I go into my slow play is what I did. And I played, played with him a little bit more with some of the cow sounds and then some of the bugles, just trying to keep it entertained. And then slowly went into the pants, the little bit of glunking, the raking, letting him know, stay back. I've got a hot cow here. And that was all it took. Here he comes start, starting to trot across the, the, that opening. It was a burn opening. But it took me time. It took me 20, 25 minutes to bring him in. I mean, he was there the whole time. And Paul said he kept going to a tree and raking, going to another tree and raking, going to another tree, and he'd bugle and scream. I tried bringing him in with a contact bus from the cow, and he would just tear it up. I challenged over him. We just went back and forth, and he kept slowly coming, slowly coming. And I could see my son. He didn't even have an arrow on his, on his bow yet. 
I can, I'm just watching my son's body language. I, my son's killed 28 bulls with a bow. Wow. And I've called every one of them in. So I see my son. I know how he acts. I know what he does, you know. And so just so but for the listeners to go, like, why isn't he doing it? Because I know how my son is. Well, he's 39. And so in, in all these times, you know, I see how he reacts to as the bull gets closer or he's still too far. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm back there about 30 yards behind my son. I'm not very far. And I see him slowly reaching for an arrow. I'm going, oh, this guy's getting closer. So, you know, it excites me as the caller, too. You know, it kind of keeps me and keeps me in the right mindset. And so I just start giving some of those soft moans like I was giving a real soft as I'm, I'm talking to this cow. You know, not him. And I'm just really amping it up to the point that this bull is, he knows I've got a cow. She is ready to breed right now. I mean, this is the picture I'm painting him. And so little by little, next thing you know, I can hear the bull just screaming. And I mean, it's like, this bull is right there. He's got to be at the timber's edge. And Paul's not drawn back. He has to be, he, there's no way that bull's 35 yards from me. And he just must be standing there. I don't know what he's doing. And so, you know, I'm trying to move back a little bit and draw, thinking, well, maybe he's to the right. I got to go my, to my left a little bit more, try to pull the bull over him. Because what it sounds like he's right there, maybe he's not. And so, you know, you second guess yourself and you try to make it right to pull it by your shooter. And so all of a sudden I'm looking as I'm still calling and raking and I see him drawn back, you know. And I'm like, and the bull just screams. And I'm like, there is no way this bull's not standing on top of him. I mean, it's <laughs> like, I see my son draw a full draw. And then the sound like the bull is, is in his lap. I mean, he's that close. And I see <laughs> nothing. Zero. Jeez. And all of a sudden, I see him kind of slowly moving to the right. Paul starting to swing his real slow. So the bull doesn't see him. Just slowly moving. I'm going, oh, the bull's to his right. And I didn't know that. So I start slide behind Paul a little bit. And I give him a nervous grunt. Is what I did. I hit him with a nervous grunt and a hard scream. And when I did, all I could hear was running, running right at me. <laughs> I mean, that was it. The bull had enough. And he kind of stopped right by Paul, and Paul shot him. I believe it was 17 yards, but the bull would not turn. He was coming right toward Paul. And so Paul had to shoot him out of the frontal and just buried the arrow. Well, I heard the shot. I heard the bull running like I still haven't seen this thing. I didn't know what he is. And so. I'm looking at my son. I don't want to make too much of a move, but I'm calling. I'm bugling, 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 trying to slow the bull down, you know, to so the tracking is, is less, you know. And so I can see Paul, and he's rubbernecking it through the trees, you know, trying to see the, the bull, see the, where he's going. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I see him turn around, and he looks at me, and he kind of just gives a little fist pump. Not much, just a little bit. You know, it wasn't his first one or anything. And so I looked, so now I knew that was okay to go over. So now I go over, and what is it? He goes, well, I think he's a little over 300. I mean, he's a really nice bull. I said, really? And so, you know, I was excited. And so as I'm sitting here talking to him, I heard the bull give a death moan. And we both did. He'd go, <laughs> it was over. That was it. That's all we heard. And we couldn't see him, but that's all we heard. So anyway, we go over there, and we finally, we tracked the bull down. And I look, I was like, holy cow, that's way <laughs> over 300 inches. And so that was, you know, it was nice. Yeah, in what, three days Two or three days he had shot, but both those bulls were down. So that was pretty fun. But to go through that slow play, to run a bull off like that, and I mean there was hunters everywhere. They were all over the place. And to run this bull off and then decide I'm now going to call him back by switching my sounds up now and pulling him over. You know, that's, that's kind of a good thing. It really is. And because one minute you're like, get the crap out of my way. And the next minute, oh, well, wait a minute. And, <laughs> and, and was able to pull him back around. And, you know, it, it, you think that was something. <laughs> on the other one, he killed with longbow. 
he sh- I call this bull in through a slow play. Same thing. One bugle. That's all that we heard. And we moved our way up the mountain, got up, got up in there. I call this bull. I'm not even going to go through the whole thing, but I call him in. Takes me another 20, 25 minutes to bring this bull in. Paul shoots him at about 28 yards. He catches a, limb, a willow limb and hits him through the top of the leg, goes through his brisket and into the other leg. Bull takes off. After 25-minute call-in, and this thing, I was just, I was reaching for everything to pull this bull. I had him ignited. I finally got him to spark off right at the very end, but before that, he would not do anything. But I got him there, hits the branch, tells me, I walk up there, he's shaking his head. He goes, I just wounded that bull. I'm like, no. He goes, yeah. I caught the limb. I saw the fletchings. He was using feathers because he was shooting a longbow. And he says, I saw it catch a limb and hit him low. And I was like, oh. So we waited there and waited. For a little bit, went and found the arrow, what was left of it, and it was like half of it was gone. So we slowly kind of just, we, and there's blood all over the ground. And like, okay, we're going to follow, let's at least follow him and see what it is. We want to make sure that he's okay, or is he laying there dead? Maybe he's mortally wounded, we don't even know it. And we're doing this, I mean, 40 minutes goes by, and we're slowly thick, really thick, Sam. And 40 minutes goes by, and all of a sudden, he bugles. From the same exact spot he bugled originally. He's straight up the mountain up on a bench. And when I heard him, I told Paul, I said, that's the same bull. That is the same bull. <laughs> and he's like, no way. I go, yeah, that's him. And so we decide, okay, I'm going to recall this bull in. Well, now Paul hears a few cow calls and realizes it's a bull. He had cows up there. I couldn't hear the cow calls. He did. And so we come up with a game plan. And one thing leads to another. As far as our game plan, I'm going to get real aggressive with him out of the gate because I already got him pretty worked up on the way down so i already knew i did it 40 something minutes ago so i proceed to call and within probably i would say five to seven minutes i called that bull right back into 28 yards and paul this time kills the bull that's how come we know what the arrow first arrow did so i recall this bull back in with an arrow in him and it's stuck in his far leg right into the joint and when i brought that bull back in i watched him the bull was 35 yards from me when paul killed him i watched that bull he didn't even have a limp nothing he was walking and moving and screaming and screaming at me because I worked this guy up. And then I was just challenging him big time. And he just came running down the mountain. He ran down that mountain from that top peak where he was, which was 150 yards away. When I finally hit him with that last challenge, he it was he was coming to tear my head off. That's just all there was to it. I could have shot that bull. At 35 yards, I was looking at him through the tree branches, which I didn't even have a bow. I didn't want to shoot. And I wanted just my son to. And so, but the fact is, is to bring that wounded bull back in for a second shot on over-the-counter public land, Idaho. That was, to me, that was really one of the pinnacles in my life. And I've called, my son and I have called over 1,000 bulls to bow range in all our years of hunting. And so we've called a lot. That is the first time that's ever happened. Wow. Never called a bull back in that was shot. Usually they run out of the country, Sam. They do not (laughs) stick around. And for some reason, he ran back to his cows and they stayed there. I don't know if because he felt like he was hurt, but he really wasn't. When he came in, he came in thundering like there was nothing wrong. But anyway, I just thought that was a good story for some of the people. No, that's absolutely incredible. And it just it shows it it shows putting into practice what what we were talking about earlier and how um, how situations can change and you have to be adaptable to that. And I mean, I think it really just comes down to summarizing it is you have to be aware of what the narrative is currently you really do you're so spot on once you understand that language and and you only use those sounds just like the elk do you're right on the money the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by john browning 
1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, figure out what the narrative is, what the situation is, and you then have all of these tools to decide how can I rewrite this narrative so the the <laughs> bull or the cow or the satellites, whatever it is, do what I do what I need them to do. And it's you know, it's not a not an easy thing, I imagine, by any stretch, but uh once you become good at something like that, it I can <laughs> from your experience, as far as I can tell, it can only uh it can only improve your elk hunting game as a whole. Yeah, you know, and the important thing is, it's that practice is so important. You know, it's one thing to say, I need to make this sound, I need to make this sound, now I got to bring this one in, and doing it. It comes through practice. So when I know I need a sound, I'm not tripping through three sounds trying to get that one. I mean, I, I'm one of those guys that it seems like as the clutch gets worse and the pressure is on, I do my, that's where I'm at my best. And it comes from practice. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to sit here and brag or anything. It's not like that. But some people under pressure just don't perform as well as others. But I've always been one that when it comes right down to brass tacks, I just can reach down and grab that exact sound and with the emotion behind it. And it only comes through repetition. So for guys to get out there and get in a situation, if you shy away from the sound that you know is needed, it's because you haven't put your practice in. You know the one you need, but it's like, if I do it, I know I'm going to mess up and he's going to blow out of there. Well, what is the alternative? Nothing. Cow call <laughs> when you know it doesn't even make any sense right there. And, you know, this is what people do. And I, you know what? There's, sometimes people are their own worst enemies. And you know what? They spent all these thousands of dollars to get on this elk hunt. And all they do is kick themselves in the butt all the way back to camp because they knew what they should have done. And I hear this every single year. I give a lot of seminars. I've given six this year already. And so I talk to a lot of people. And I hear that. That, that inner complaint from them, they disgust themselves at times because they knew what they needed to do, but because they didn't put the time in, didn't think it was as important, you know, but it is. Calling is so, so important. And once you understand the value of it because of its use, you are going to realize that your bugle and your cow call are indispensable tools. There is no way in God's green earth you'll ever leave them behind. Because I ask people, people ask me all the time, should I even bring a bugle? I heard that the pressure's so great, all the bugle do is run them off, blah, 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 blah. And it's true if you don't know what you're doing. Should I leave my driver in my bag? Every time I hit it, I goes 25 yards and to my left. I have no idea what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, leave it in your bag because you suck at it and you're not, you're not willing to <laughs> fix it. Until you go on the range and fix that problem and gain confidence that you can send it down the fairway, leave it in the bag because you, you, you don't want to do your practicing on the range because you're going to suck. The same as your calling. If you think you're going to run out there because you know how to make a few cow calls and do the other sounds when you need them the most and it's under pressure, you won't perform. Have you ever been to a 3D shoot and these guys are just lasers at 20 and 25 yards and then they get to the steel target. It's the size of a hardball, <laughs> and it's 20 yards away, and they only have to put it through this three-inch opening, and look at the ground, 
and there must be hundreds of arrows oh, yeah. that are destroyed because the pressure. And, and if it was foam, they would probably hit the bullseye every time at 20 yards. But the pressure makes you flinch, makes you want to see where the arrow's going. I mean, that's what I mean with calling. Yeah, you're sitting at home and you sound beautiful and wonderful, but you get out there under pressure. There's the hair on the animal. It's right over here, and I have to make just this sound or a sequence and i don't really want to screw it up because you know we've already gotten to this point he was over here at 400 now he's right there and i need to do this sound and that's what i mean so it comes to practice so guys don't shy away from the practice man overdo it there's no such thing as overdoing it but that's how you get comfortable when you can pop that reed in your mouth and do anything with it and you'll notice it it, it will pay huge dividends in the elk woods well, you know, and it's a good idea talking about that practice to just like we do with archery. You know, you start out, you get your mechanics, your basics down in a nice, calm situation, standing in front of the target, releasing those arrows. But then as you progress in your in your shooting, you start to do things that will like raise your heart rate or add that yes. extra pressure like you would on the hunt. Why why don't we do that with our with our calling? Once you get those I basics like down and those sounds down. Yes. Why not grab your – when you're going for a run in the morning, grab your reed, take them with you. Grab your bugle tube, take it with you. And once your heart rate is up and your mouth's a little dry and you're panting mm-hmm. a little bit, then try and make those cow sounds and see what happens or try and do that those different sequences and see what happens. Yep. I agree. I mean, that, that, that you know, I actually never even thought about that. But that's that's a very good point. And, and after a while, it's just like shooting your bow. It'll be old hat. You'll be used to it. And so when the situation does arise, the pressure happens. Yeah, you won't shrink back. You know that you've done everything you needed to do for that moment. You know, and that may be your only moment. You know, it happens every year. You just don't walk in the out. How many times have you all kind of, you do not go out there and get into three bulls a day on over the counter. Huh? It just doesn't happen. I've still so, yet to see a bull. So I'm, I'm <laughs> there you go. just excited for that. So you want to be the guy that can take advantage of that animal when, when the time happens. I mean, it's like, okay, I am prepared. And, the, and yeah, it is only through that repetition, whether you're going to do it the way you just mentioned or just through calling in general or shooting your bow and you've got your focus and your form down, you're, you're confident in all aspects, you know. And so it's the same as in your gear that you're using or, and, and your training ahead of time knowing I'm 63. I don't even hesitate to hunt 20 straight days in a row with no break, and I will cover 5 to 10 miles every day. I'm not a tree stand hunter. And, I mean, I live in Idaho, We and if people know what Idaho looks like, it's a lot of rough country, and that's what I choose to hunt. I try to get away from as many hunters as we can, and so we hunt very, very rugged country. But even at my age, I can still keep up, pursue, and, and still pack five bulls out in that same 20 days, our own and help others. And again, it all comes through training, whether I'm training with my calling, training with my workout routine, and I have a real strict one. I use it year round, and I know it's what's necessary for me to continue to hit those elk woods and to perform at a level that I expect myself to be able to handle. And so it doesn't matter what the facet of of, uh, hunting that you do. Be prepared in every aspect, especially as a newer hunter. Don't take things for granted thinking that I can get by if I just do this or this or this. I would rather see a guy well-prepared in his calling and in his physical conditioning and have a $100 pack and a $100 bow. I'm serious. 
and everything on him is is as cheap and low budget as he could go just so he could hunt because those other items they're not going to help you kill elk they may make you a little more comfortable but you know what my son and i used to use a badlands 2200 we carried killed over two two dozen bulls and packed them out in that <laughs> pack and it's not the most comfortable pack around it isn't it's like you know it gets it done don't get me wrong it will hold 100 pound loads but it's not comfortable but who cares I'm elk hunting. I'm not building pianos here, and I'm supposed to have air-conditioned room. I'm elk hunting. You know, until you've been through some of those school of hard knocks, one of the hardest elk hunts we ever did, we were kind of going out for a day hunt, so I had this little cheapy day pack. Paul was probably 14 years old. He's 39. He'll be 40 in August. That's how many years ago it was. We ended up killing a 6 by 7 point bull seven miles back. We had a pack that was worth carrying your lunch in and some water. That was it. Well, there was four of us that were back there. Nobody had anything. Did we, were we prepared? Did we even expect that we were going to kill a bull like that? No, we weren't. And we were checking out a new air, but we did. And none of us wanted to go back. We carried that entire elk out, all four of us, with no packs. We had, I, I, and I was one of the guys with a hindquarter. I carried that hindquarter on my right shoulder, on my left shoulder, on both, um, on behind my neck, in forklift style. Everything you can imagine for <laughs> seven miles of country. This is no road to trails. Oof. And by the time I got back, I was the most beat up all of us were, bruised, beat up beyond your imagination. From that day on, that 2200 pack was like having the absolute best thing in the world. <laughs> it was. I could put it into something and not have it. Have you ever carried a hindquarter for seven miles? Let Oof. me tell you what. It bites into every bone and every muscle on your neck, on your shoulders, uh, everywhere, on your arms. It gets to be there is no comfortable spot. And I always told myself, this happened a lot of years ago, you know, just under, over, just under 30 years. If every hunter did that one time in their life, they would have such an appreciation for anything they own, their shoes, their packs, their bow. It doesn't have to be the best in the world. It doesn't. Not even close. And you can still get out there and have a great time on a shoestring budget. Just don't cut back on your calling practice, you know, and your physical conditioning. But you don't need a $1,000 pack and a $1,000 bow and a $1,000 optic and a $500 pair of shoes to hunt and kill elk. You don't. All the years we hunted. I bet you I wasn't worth $150 work walking in the <laughs> That's the truth. And I mean from my pack to everything I owned. It was nothing. It was bare bones. I didn't have money. Now, today, I can afford anything I want. And I do have nice stuff because it's there and, and it's just my wife and I. You know, I don't have kids to support or anything like that. And I do have nicer things. But don't think – I hate to see newer hunters go out there thinking that they have to be a $10,000 bill walking through the woods. You don't. No way. Get something affordable so you don't, you know, withhold things back from the family, you know, as, as needs come up. And then upgrade as you see the need and you have the, the budget to do it. And But all you need is a $200 pair of optics. But people think they got to have Swarovskis. They don't. <laughs> you really don't. You do, you're going to go hunt elk for seven days and you need Swarovs. What are they going to do the other 360 days? Sit in the closet? But that's what I mean. But most people that go out there are only hunting a month, a few. You know, get get something that's reasonable that get, that you can still see with. Get a pack for a couple hundred bucks. Get something used. I mean, really, until you can upgrade and, and it's affordable and your family doesn't suffer from it. Because I'll tell you what, 
and I kid you not, Sam, it's nothing to spend ten grand on hunting gear when you when you take in consideration your phone, your GPS, your arrows, your broadheads, your pack, the binos. I mean, you put all those together in your bow itself. I mean, your GPS. I mean, think of everything that you got. It's a lot of money. We're walking through the woods as a ten thousand dollar bill. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, hunters aren't hunting because they think if they don't have those things, they can't be successful. Baloney. I never had anything like that until just even a few years ago. I mean, companies would send me stuff. So that was great. But but before that, heck no, we didn't even think about it, about having all those kinds of stuff. So I, I hate for people not to go elk hunting thinking that they have to be equipped to a certain level. Well, heck, even a TP tent now is over $1,000, just something lightweight. So you guys get out there and experience it. Have the fun. Learn to call. Be in shape. And, man, you guys can just run the woods. I mean, you'll have a great time. And and if you do, I would recommend highly to be mobile. Do your first hunts, your first years from a base camp. Be mobile. Be able to run out five, six, seven miles and check country out. If you find this honey hole and there's elk everywhere and now you want to bivy hunt it for two or three days, do it. But don't jump all into one thing thinking you've got a backcountry elk hunt. Do you know the five of us? We've pulled 194 bulls on over-the-counter tags. That's how many we've taken in 27 years. We've been together that long. And I want to tell you folks something. We've never bivy hunted one day. None. Not one. Hmm. All those elk. These are five and six-point bulls, most all of them. And we've killed bulls from, uh, I mean, a lot of them from 300 to 360 inches. And so, and a lot of them are even less than that. They're 250s, 270s, you know. But my point is, is that you don't need to bivy hunt if you don't want to. If in time you want to get back further. And, but again, remember, I'm hunting five to 10 miles a day. I mean, it's not like I'm hunting <laughs> a half a mile from the truck or one mile. No, we're, we get back there and we get into areas most people don't go to at all because we do not use access points. We don't use the dirt roads. We don't use the, the trails for access. We go to areas and look at the country and see the most rugged stuff around that has no access. And that's where we like to do our hunts. So that's what we're doing. And it's easy to get away from people in a mile. We're killing most of our elk in less than two miles. So no matter what state you go to, you can have a lot of good, great elk hunting less than two miles away, GPS miles especially, and don't use the normal access point where everybody's parked and camped. And you will find that a lot of these elk, these people are hunting, are pushing them into these more solitude areas. And so that's what we try to hunt and find. So you guys can do that, but stay mobile. So you can hunt this area, this area, this area, this area. You're going to find them. And I'm not. I don't even. We don't even have time to find out how I hit the bedding areas and break and and, and feeding it <laughs> the fastest way. I mean, you know, it just takes more time. Yeah. But get the app. It's all in there. <laughs> the app has all of this stuff, Sam. How well, I find these areas and their information we've even talked about here. And that's the perfect transition because I wanted to, uh, you know, we've mentioned it through the podcast, but uh, tell me about the app. What? Uh, tell me all about the Elknet app here. Okay, just, you know, shortly, just so people can say, okay, here's what I would expect. First of all, the app does cost money. It's not very expensive, but it's cost $9.95, and you own it for life. All the updates that come are, are free. It, right now, there's probably 26 videos on it. Uh, and the video clips, what, what I've done with those in the very beginning, as I mentioned already, is it's how to use a mouth read, how to select a mouth read. And that's what the the six or seven minutes of it's worth. And then you're going to see elk sounds uh, on the menu. And that means you got all the bull sounds in one category, all the cow sounds in their separate category. Now, each one of those sounds 
you're going to hear a real elk making that sound. You're going to hit separated calf, separated cow, contact buzz, nervous grunt, uh, regathering, social, and you're going to have an audio button. And each one, you're going to hit it, and it's going to give you the sound a real elk is making that sound. Then you're going to see it say elk nut. And it's going to say it on every sound. And I make that sound. So you can hear a hunter make it. And I'm just Joe Hunter like you. Yeah, I've practiced for a long time. But I'm still Joe Hunter. I'm not a world call, world championship caller. And so you're going to hear me make it. And you're going to hear a real elk make it. And then right underneath it, it's going to say record. Now you can record your own sound. You're going to say, okay, I want to hear Paul make a challenge bugle. I want to hear a real bull make a challenge bugle. Now I'm going to do my own and see how I stack up. What do I need to practice on? And you're going to do that through every single sound has that feature of recording yourself and listening to it and compare all on the same page. So you're not running around trying to, you know, sync a different page. And no, it's all right there. So it's a really one stop feature for there. And then you're going to say, okay, there's the sound. But what does it mean? So now it says tips. Every sound has tips. You click it and it's going to say, what does this sound mean? So it tells you what the elk are saying. Or what you're saying if you use that sound. When do I use it? When do the elk use it? Okay, and you and it's going to have all those questions like that highlighted as a main point in bold writing. And then underneath it will be option after option after option of a challenge bugle, of a location bugle, of a, of a roundup bugle, a lip ball bugle, a nervous grunt, all the cow sounds. And so there's tons of written content. And also on each one of those sounds, when you go to challenge bugle or any cow sound or bull sound, up will come a little video if you want to watch it. It will say video, and I will show you how to make that sound with a read. Each individual sound, it's a 90-second clip that shows you how to make the contact buzz, how to make the roundup bugle with the mouth read, my tongue location, so you're watching it. And so now you're seeing, oh, this is how he's doing it. Just like a lip ball. How does he make that lip ball? You purse your lips together and you go. And then when I put the reed in my mouth and I show you that visually, you're going to go, that's how he's. And once you see the visual and what the sound means and how to make it with the reed and a bugle, it's just so much quicker in the learning process. And then what does it mean? How do I use it in a hunting situation? If I hear it in the woods, what is the bull saying? How do I react? All of it sitting there on the app. And I show you full moon hunting times, what we use, some of the tactics, new beginner elk hunting tips. I'm going to show you videos on how to do the breeding sequence, how to do the cold calling sequence in the woods. I show you the exact sound, the setup, the woods, everything, and I go through the scenario. I show you how to do uh, the advertising sequence. I go through them all, and you're going to see every bit of this on the app. You download it. You have it. When you go to the woods, there it is. You do not need Wi-Fi. It's already on your phone. All you need is battery power. So even if you're in the woods and you hear a bugle and you're like, what the heck? I have no idea what that is. I'm a newer hunter. I don't know. Go to the app. Hit the bugles. Hit this one. Then this one. Then this one. That's the sound I'm hearing right there. It says, this bull is saying, blah, 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 blah. Here's what you do next. You see, and so after a period of time of repetition and you're using the app on any sounds you hear out there, it'll show glunking, grunts, chuckles, everything. I mean, it has it all. It will tell you what they're saying and how to handle it. So in time, you're going to be like us and you're not going to have to pull the app out. You're <laughs> going to go, I've been through this so many times, like that baseball. 
hitter. I've seen this picture now 18 times. I know I don't have to pull out my sheet to see what he's going to do. I know I've been there enough times. I know how he, how to handle this guy. And that's what you'll end up doing. But in the meantime, it's such a great learning tool. And if you're around the campfire on the mountain and in a situation, you can use it at the campfire. You could even turn it on and hit the bugle or whatever sound you want and ask your buddies. Okay, here's a sound right here. What's happening right here? And you know what most of them are going to say? I don't know. <laughs> and so now you explain to them and then you show them the responses and the answers. And so when you go out there and hunt, because what's going to happen is if you start educating yourself and you take two or three or four other hunters, who's going to do all the calling? You, because you're the best. <laughs> and they're going to go, man, I don't sound nothing like you. I'm going to screw everything up. Or you do hear them call and you go, I don't want you calling for me. Forget it. I'll <laughs> call for myself and I'll do the calling for you because you guys just have no clue. So everybody... They need to start practicing and have this app. And the, and the next feature we have coming, Sam, so your listeners know, is all this is already on the app, is we're putting a feature on it that anybody that has the app, you are going to be able to record your sound and send it to anybody that has your app. They can listen to you. Your buddy's going to go, hey, you're doing good. Maybe one of your buddies lives in another state, but you get together in your elk hunts, and you can't be together all the time. So you send him any sound you want, and he sends you yours, and you guys are listening to each other. And you go, hey, wait a minute. If you're going to call for me, you need to make this part way better on the end. You're not sounding that good. And so you can critique each other. If there's three or four, you're going to be able to reach out and send it to anybody that owns the app. In addition to that, you're going to be able to send that sound to anybody on Facebook or anybody on Instagram. So it's going to have the feature that you can connect and send it right to them and say, how do you think I'm sounding? So that's pretty cool. That's what we're working on right now to put on that app. So there is so much stuff on this thing. You guys oh, yeah. got to have it. I mean, it's the best 10 bucks you'll ever spend in your life. And there's no renewal for you each year. I, none. I can definitely echo that sentiment because I, I you know, we were talking uh, earlier and I, on my way to my, my elk hunt, my 20 hour drive out to, out to Idaho, um, mm -hmm. I, I would say probably a good 60 to 75% of that drive was plugged in the elk nut app uh, <laughs> or my iPhone into my stereo speaker. So I had right. all the sounds going and then I'd try one and, um, yeah, that, I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out the, uh, the, bugle sharing or <laughs> the call sharing yeah uh, you know it's just how be you get better and you know it was funny you were talking about sitting there and like you know you're out in the woods and then using the app to identify sounds and i was right. just thinking um I'm, I'm gonna start pulling up just random tourists or whatever just these elk videos that you can find YouTube. on youtube youtube is great for it just pull up random elk videos and then Yep. Use the app and sit there and try and figure out what the elk in that video are saying, you know, and maybe sometimes it'll have it tell you the situation in the description. You'll read that after the fact, but I think that, or you know, you're getting a, you get enough to where you go, I cow call this and now bull bugle. You already know he's calling you to him. Mm -hmm. Go straight to the roundup bugle because that's the sound a bull is using. He's using a roundup bugle. So go straight to it. And go, I'll be dang. That is the same bugle. Yep. <laughs> you see what I mean? Because, you know, the hunter's cow calling or, or if a guy challenges a bull, listen to his emotion. That's what you're – remember, you have location bugle is social, okay? Now you have little frustrated, little upset, 
you're not coming when I'm, you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to come. And that's a roundup bugle. And he'll use it several times because you're not coming as he's asking you to. So then all of a sudden, you know, he may go to a challenge. And a challenge is emotion. This is just a name us hunters have applied to it because it tells us what to look for, for that sound or that emotion. But the challenge is used for anything. It can be used toward a cow because a bull's getting very frustrated or upset. I've called her five times now. She won't come. So he gets, he's insistent. The lip ball's the ultimate. So when you start breaking those four sounds down, the elk fall right in there somewhere where their level of emotion is for the situation at hand. Remember that when you watch these YouTube videos or hunting videos, and when you start reading it, you can now say this emotion part is saying this or this. That's how you learn. And same with the cow sounds. Listen to the cow sounds in the herd, in the group, in the peripheral. If that's what's happening on the YouTube video or on a out, outdoor TV, you're going to start going, oh, this makes so much more sense. Before, to me, it was just a bunch of elk talking. Now I understand this one's talking to this one in response of or this one to this one. You're going to, it'll drive you nuts though. Because once you start hearing those elk, and that what the hunter's move is, you're going to go, that guy's screwing up. That's total screw. That's not what he should be doing right now. <laughs> this elk is saying this, and this guy is just cow calling away, uh, and he thinks the elk should come, and he's not going to. Here's what you need to do right here, dude. You need to call the elk to you. You know, that's what you'll end up doing. I've done it because I watch it to cement ideas in some of the teachings that I've learned myself from the elk. And it's just like, oh, they're messing so many things up. And but it's fun because it's also educational to me and you and to anybody that'll take the time to do it. But that is such a good thing to do that you mentioned, Sam. People can really educate themselves right now at home by understanding what to look for and then go watch some of those hunting videos. Great, great idea. Well, and for those of us that just don't really have easy access to, to go out and scout yeah. or, or visit those elk or spend that much time out there, you know, you kind of got to find find ways to uh, fill in those gaps. Yeah, so, great way, great way. So, if people wanted to follow you online and find the Elknut app, where can they? Uh, where can people catch you? Well, yeah, the the Elknut app can be found on our website. I, we have elknut.com. or if you have an iPhone, you just go to your app store, and when you go to your app store. You're going to see search. It'll be one of your functions there, one of your features. Click search and type in elk nut. There's only one elk nut there. And when you do, the elk nut app will come up and it'll even have a free video there that will tell you all about the app. And I'm the one actually talking on it. And I explain what is in there, kind of what I already did here. And you'll see uh, some of the stuff and it'll even show you some of the pages that will flash by showing you the cow sounds, bull sounds, the audios, the tips and so forth. So you'll get a, a real good idea. But if you have an Android phone, you go to Google Play. That's your source. And also you would go to your search function and type in ElkNet and that, that app will come up. You'll know it's the right one when uh, it's, it's nine ninety five, and you'll see my ugly mug there with that <laughs> six by seven bull sitting there. <clears throat> and that's an over-the-counter Idaho bull that, that I had taken. Actually, that bull right there that you will see is the longest shot I have ever made on any animal. And I've taken 20, a total of 26 mule deer, mule deer bucks with a bow. And I won't even tell you how many elk. It's a bunch. But on the elk, I shot that bull at 50 yards. He was a 50-yard shot. That's the furthest elk I've ever shot or furthest animal I've ever shot with a bow. But I thought that was interesting on that particular one. 
And uh, yeah, that was a great one. I was with my son that day and we actually videoed that hunt. But anyway, um, yeah, see how I get going off in these tangents? But anyway, that's how you find <laughs> hey, me out. I enjoy them. That's you know, it, that's where all the gold comes from is, uh, <laughs> is hearing those stories and uh, well, I love yeah, hearing them. It's those memories, you know. You kind of build those memories, and I will mention a lot of times people say, "I want to, I'd like to know a broader range." The app is good, and there's so much on it. But is there specialized sounds? or sequences where you talk about this and this, and there's even more information. And there actually is, because when I do some of the CDs and DVDs, I can spend an hour on uh, on two or three subjects instead of an hour on 15 subjects. Mm-hmm. And, and so if people are interested in that and they even want to further their knowledge, uh, if you look on the elknut.com website and you get to the very first package it's under packages it will say works well in wolf country that just means it works anywhere but there's <laughs> a three pack there of the playbook the elknet 5 and volume 4 that three pack it has four hours of just, I mean, such, and it's all instructional. Uh, that's all I really dive into. I try to show you what all these different, we go over the growls, all the different cow sounds and bull sounds, and really go into them deep on when you're going to hear them, why you're going to say this sound instead of, but we cover all the elk sounds on there too. Of course, the app is right there in your hand, and you can't take the DVDs with you in the playbook. You know, it, <laughs> It's all sitting there in the app. But there's a broader range in that information that could be brought up to mind, too, during your hunt, in addition to the app, wetting your appetite. But for those that are saying, I'd like to, you know, see stuff like that, too, I would recommend that over all the packages in there. That one right there is really, really a, a great package for, for everyone to consider. And I'll make sure to link to the website and the store and, and all your socials on the show notes page for this episode. And uh I'll have that posted up on the website, so people should be able to find all of that really easily. Um, yeah, or if they have a question, there's yep. a contact me button there, and then that contact me button on the website, it comes straight to me. I'm the only one that sees it. I'm the only one that will acknowledge it. So ask me anything about this episode or anything you may have already have some of the CDs or DVDs. But yeah, feel free to ask me any questions, and I respond to every one of them. That's fantastic. So. As we're winding down here, I always like to close with, uh, you know, as we talked earlier, this podcast is really dedicated to new hunters or or people from the city who may not feel like they have access to the outdoors or just feel intimidated because there's a lot to learn. What what encouragement would you give to someone that that came up to you and said, you know, I really want to get into to hunting or bow hunting or elk hunting or whatever it is, but you know, I'm just I'm nervous. I'm a little scared. There's so much to learn. What uh, what advice would you give them? Probably the best advice for me is what I did when I was young, <laughs> and that was if you have a passion for something, go after it, you know, and especially for elk hunting, life is short. I can remember two weeks ago, I was that 12-year-old. It's really true. I mean, it just it comes by and goes so fast, but just do it. I mean, just do it. And so that means if you're going to do it, that you you have to be serious about it in in, in all aspects of it. And it's a good lifelong goal because you know you have to be in respectable shape. So it just makes you a a better person, a healthier person. And and it seems like you're fit year round. Maybe you work out a little bit harder before the season, but you're always in that conditioning because you never know you know, what may came up, might come up. But if you're a newer guy, dive into what all this represents and all this 
sounds because to me, that's what started building on me is when I started hearing elk and I started hearing talk about it and the excitement that I just had to do it. So it wasn't so much that I need this much money and I need this much gear. No, let the desire inside. If you don't have the desire, you won't have the motivation and you won't do it. You just won't. But if you do want to do it, you just have to push forward and do it and start putting a goal in front of you. I need to learn do this to achieve it or this. And always make sure when you put a goal in front of you that it's an achievable goal. If you put something so far ahead of you and so far outreaching and you never achieve it, you'll become frustrated and you'll quit. So make sure when you say, I'm going to set a goal, once I do get to this step, or this step, I can. I know I can do it. I can achieve that step. And once you do a second and a third and a fourth, you're on your way to elk hunting. Whether it's I'm, my, my first step, I want to learn how to cow call. I know I need to be in a little better shape. So maybe I'm going to start with my diet. I'm going to eat, drink a few less Cokes. I mean, serious. These are trivial things, but these are the things that lead up. And when you start seeing, man, two months ago I was here and look where I'm at now, you can look back. And you can see it's like practicing in a tape recorder. Tape your very first sound you ever make, cow sounds, bull sounds, and then keep practicing and listen to them in 30 days and know where you're at today as where you were at then. And you're going to, oh, my God, I had no idea I've gotten this much better. But this is where I was at. It's the same with, you know, like I say, your diet and learning how the elk sounds are, learning the country. How do I uh, navigate country? To me, that's one of the biggest hurdles People who don't live in the mountains uh, come across, they fear the mountains because where they live in these other t states and towns, you know, it's nothing like this monstrous country. You come out here and it's like, oh, where do I start? You know, it's like that. It's that huge. And when you look at that monster uh, picture vividly and you're there it's like where would i ever find an elk out here how <laughs> in the i hear elk live in 10 percent of the country well what about 90 i mean my gosh where do i start well there's information out there the app is one of them we show you how to start that we show how to be successful your first time out don't take too much off to chew you see as a newer hunter don't worry about bivy hunting don't gear it up for that. It's thousands of dollars. You know, to come out here, you just grab a tent. It's archery hunting. Most of the time, it's really warm weather. So at least you can get out there and be in something like that. And then you just branch out. Your first year will teach you a lot of what you might want to add to that the following year. But have the desire. Have the motivation. Get in shape. Learn how to call right now because that's your money to locating elk. That's your money right there. That's how you're going to find them, especially in heavy timber. If you can, if you're going to hunt more open country, consider some cheap optics. You don't need to have expensive optics. You're just trying to magnify your vision out there to see what's out there. And in time, you know, you can upgrade. Your first car is not going to be a Ford sixty thousand dollar diesel. It's just not going to happen <laughs> usually unless you're from a rich parent. Your first one, my very first vehicle I ever owned, cost me thirty five dollars. That's the truth. I, it cost me thirty five bucks. It was a Ford Falcon station wagon. I ended up messing up the motor, and I had to have it rebuilt. It cost $230 to have that motor, motor totally rebuilt. <laughs> That's how old I am, guys. But you see where I was. That's not what I'm driving today. That's not what I drove 10 years ago. You see, but that's what I mean. That's Treat your elk hunt like that. Just go into it slow because, you know, it, it, what if you ended up hunting for one or two years and decide you didn't like it? 
See, it's easy to back out of it. I don't have thousands of dollars invested. So, you know, get your feet wet out there. Make sure you're going to go out there the first time. And when you hear a bull scream and elk are talking, you're done. <laughs> I mean, it's so <laughs> addictive. I'm in my 60s and I can't wait to hear my next bugle. That's how terrible elk hunting is. But it's a good terrible. And that's what I mean. If that drives you and that passion is there because that's what stemmed from me when I was 12 years old and I couldn't believe it and I came from a non-hunting family, nobody hunted. I made that desire grow. Nobody was there adding fuel to it. Nobody. They didn't even know what the heck hunting was. So if you guys are way beyond that and you already are around people that hunt and you see fun in it or a sport, it's going to be so much easier than how I started. And so, you know, if anybody was ever in that position and I, and they are like where I came from, feel free to, to contact me, man. I'll help you any which way I can, but you people who already have somebody that deer hunts or pheasant hunts or does anything, honey, you already have a leg up. So it's just, you're adding elk to the equation and once you elk hunt, you're going to find that other hunts just don't have the same, you know, allure to it. It just, it's not <laughs> there. It's, there's a romance there. There's something about elk hunting and vocalization and screaming bulls. You'll never come home from an elk hunt and say, hun, I heard so many bugles. I'm bored. I don't ever want to hear another. You will never say that. <laughs> it's not the case. It's so exciting. And you know, you could hunt for three days and your feet could hurt. It's ridiculous. And all of a sudden you hear a bull bugle 300 yards ahead of you. And let me tell you, all the aches and pains go away. You don't even think about a sore muscle. All you can think of, my gosh, there's one right there. I mean, that's it. You're trying to think of a plan now. How can I form one? I got to get this guy in. I got to get close. I got to do. You, you're not even thinking about your feet anymore or your back because of packs on you. It's nothing like so. That's what I mean. Those are all the things that are associated with an elk hunt. When you start hearing them bugle, it'll be easier to, to be motivated. And a lot of people tell me I have a real motivational way of talking. So maybe after you listen to all this, you might get more excited and more, <laughs> you know, into wanting to, to do an elk hunt and realize the importance of the things that uh, can lead up to it. Definitely. Well, Paul, thank you so much for hopping on the show with me today. I think everybody is absolutely going to love this episode. Well, good. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it, Sam. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 79 of Living Country in the City. A big thank you to Paul for taking so much time out of his busy schedule to sit down and talk with me about elk calling. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 79. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. And make sure y'all head on over to the iTunes or Google Play stores to download the Elk Nut app. It is absolutely worth it. I guarantee you will not regret it if you are looking to improve your elk calling. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.